Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Unfilter 107 Supporter Show. 107. 107, Chase. 107, it's Friday afternoon, everybody. It's time for that Friday night drive hey, time. I, I was worried you might be a little worn out after a crazy week of traffic here in the uh, Pacific Northwest. What? Oh, you didn't hear? Uh, yeah, President Obama was in town upsetting traffic on Tuesday. Uh, wait, I I don't... I, that didn't affect me. Oh. I wasn't there. I was trying to make a smooth segue into my first clip, you see? Here. I, 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 <laughs> I, hey, Chase, how's disrupted. it going? Should we do over? Uh, so, Chase, uh, President Obama came into town this week. Yeah, I heard he really screwed up traffic in oh, the area. Oh, it was so awful. And how, how bad was it, Chris? Well, you know, the real uh, lasting damage was how upset he got everybody because he's doing way too much campaigning. He's using Washington as an ATM? It's just too much, and uh, even now the folks on MSNBC are calling him out. And Andrea Mitchell, do you know, could you do me a favor? Just yeah. This is just an, actual, an intellectual exercise. Yeah. Could you Google search for me, uh-huh. Andrea Mitchell, husband. See who Andrea Mitchell's husband is. Andrea. And I'll, if you're not familiar, dear audience, Andrea Mitchell is a correspondent for NBC. She's one of their bigwigs. She's very revered amongst their staff there. They they kind of go on about how great she is on air. She's often wait, like the go-to. Wait, the Alan Greenspan? Yep. That's how elite the media is. Wow. She is married to Greenspan. Well, yeah. be, because her former spouse died Well, yeah. back in 75. Of course. So here's Andrea Mitchell. Even though she's usually pretty pro-Obama, at least on MSNBC, Scolded Obama for failing the optics of leadership because of all this damn campaigning he's been doing. What's your take? Um, because there's also the friction inside the White House of what should the president be doing? Where should he be? What kind of message should we send? That's their job. Um, wh- you know, what's your gut on this? There is, yes, there are, there are communications. He can do his job from wherever he is. But there are moments where even telegraphing, it, this isn't politics, this is the optics of leadership. And the golf course is not the best place to be even though you don't really see him out there, but the fundraising, those trips really should, are being questioned for a good reason. You know, the, the trips last Thursday when the Malaysian airliner was shot down, proceeding to Wilmington, then proceeding on to New York for two fundraisers, that's all being questioned by people. Ronald Reagan is being praised for coming back from California when the Korean airliner was shot down. Uh, by the Soviets in 1983. That was only after he was criticized in 1981 for staying on vacation yeah. and for having uh, his his top aide, Ed Meese, come out and say, well, the, the president was asleep, but he's always in charge or something yeah. to that effect. So they learned their lesson and fixed it the next time around. All right. Yeah, do you, did you, do you remember that at all? Reagan actually... I was four. Yeah. Reagan uh, <laughs> Reagan didn't want to come off vacation when there was an air, airline downed, and uh, that was, was kind of funny. You know, I, so what I, do you think about all this, Chase? Do or, you have any thoughts? I, I well, I have this one scenario. Uh, so we, I don't know if you have anything on the wildfires that are happening. No, I don't. No, because it's yeah. All right, but uh, so we we have the nation's largest wildfire. It's mm-hmm. over three hundred miles uh, squared. It is just crazy, crazy. Over three hundred homes destroyed. Really, really nasty stuff. And Obama, at these two uh, private dinners, he came up to Washington State, by the way, you guys, in case you didn't realize from the clip, he came up to Washington State to do fundraising for the Democratic Party. And that's all he was here for. He didn't make any public speeches. But during those two appearances, he made private speeches. One of them, and at both speeches, he mentioned that, you know, the, the contributing cause 
to these fires was because of climate change. hey And I found what he said very hypocritical because he flew out here on Air Force One. Then there's an, a, an accessory uh, cargo plane that brings all his vehicles, his bulletproof things, and all that fun and stuff. And then, of course, his escorts. Then he's got his military jet escorts. And then he basically stops traffic for up to an hour while he drove to the east side of, C- uh, of Seattle area. And not to mention, like, isn't the U.S. military like one of the largest polluters in the world? Right. And then he blames these fires on climate change. So, uh... Yeah, I mean, yeah, but that's always how it goes. That's always that's everybody says the same thing about gore. It's always the same thing. But I, I, I don't know about you, Chris, but I, I completely agree that Obama, who's I think done over two almost two hundred fifty, three hundred, yeah, nearing three hundred, yeah, three hundred appearances for fundraising efforts. He didn't have to do this. Well, he's the president. He doesn't have to go. I think here's how I look at it. Uh, or he just doesn't care. I mean, I'm sure he's able to do the minimal amount of things he actually does yeah. uh, on the trip. Yeah. But uh, that aside, he's a multitasker. Uh, you know, we're, we're com- you can't really. The reason why it's an odd comparison is because Bush was toxic at this time in his presidency, so people raising money didn't necessarily want to associate with Bush. Right. The other thing too about it is uh, the Democrats desperately need the funding right now, so of course he feels like he has the pressure to get out, and he's he doesn't want this this pushback to prevent him from properly getting them funding. Now the flip side is it's like. Like you're kind of saying, was maybe now's not the right time. Put it on hold. There was, I, I mean, mean, he's a president. He could have just said, you know what, you guys, uh, we just had this it's tragic, all crap. tragic. You know what? Situation. I just wanted to bring. I just wanted to give it mention because it's what yeah. they're. It's the only other thing. It's like the distraction of the week. They're all talking about it. Did you see this other thing? So you know, there's this whole Israel Gaza thing going on. Yeah. And uh, with the with the downing of MH17 and just the general uh, rocket fire happening from Gaza into Israel. Uh, the FAA, after some interesting oh, like yeah. warnings from Delta and some suggestions well, Delta from the was State the first. Department, they right. said they didn't want to do it. Right. They uh, they suspended flights out into Israel. Of course, now uh, uh, tourism accounts for about two to three percent of Israel's entire GDP. So so tourism is hugely important to Israel. Yeah. And so if maybe you are Kerry or Obama and you're trying to give some leverage through negotiations with Israel to uh, find a reason to have a ceasefire, perhaps you would put pressure on one of your big income sources, potentially, right? Right. Kind of sounds like a bit of politics you might play to put pressure on Israel, right? Yeah. Uh, and, it, you know, hey, we're just an abundance of caution. There was a rocket a couple of miles away from the airport. We're just trying to be safety first here. Uh, you know, if you came to a ceasefire, there wouldn't be this security situation and we could be recommending people go in. Seems like a pretty reasonable thing that could happen. So Mayor Bloomberg, for whatever reason, decides, I'm going to show the world and gets on a plane and flies over to Israel. Look how safe it is. I'm happily flying to Israel. Did you catch this? No. Oh, yeah. He made a big stunt about it. And uh, because, you know, he's he's got huge backers from Israel and he wants to, you know, make a point for it. Yeah, I'm going. Uh, And there's a lot of business relationships there. So he flies to Israel to make a point. So he gets there and Wolf's already there. So Wolf says, uh, hey, bro, do you think like there's some politics happening here? And Bloomberg's answer is fascinating. Out of another country. If they were to say that about JFK, what would you expect us to do? Mr. Mayor, what do you say uh, when Hamas boasts that this is a great victory for them, the decision by the FAA to stop U.S. carriers from flying in and out of Israel? If somebody scares you and and, and goes boo and you get scared, uh, then it's your own problem. We're not scared. We think it's a non-issue. If we thought it's an issue, we would probably guide all, including and maybe first of all, allow 
to uh, maybe do something else than the, the, the normal. But right now, residents of Israel, Americans, Europeans fly all airlines. They're all the same for us. And the reality is that if Hamas goes boo and you get scared, you're helping Hamas get his... So you're helping the terrorism by, by being too careful. Get his goals. You spent most of the day here in Israel. Yes. Uh, as you know, a couple of days ago, the State Department issued a travel advisory saying Americans shouldn't come uh, uh, for non-essential visits to Israel or the West Bank. Couldn't, that, couldn't, that disagree, couldn't disagree what, with them What has more. it been like? What have you seen that uh, you've been here several times? Everybody seems comfortable. Everybody thinks they're well protected by a, a army and an air force that knows how to fight and save. If you're not, if you don't feel safe Jump here, I don't know bit. where you'd feel safe. And I think the State Department is just overreacting in typical bureaucratic fashion. So Bloomberg thinks the State Department's overreacting, typical bureaucrats. Political reasons for that? So Wolf says, do you think there's some political reasons for this overreaction, right? Yeah. That's, why would you think that, Wolf? Do you think now, do you think Blue? Now, so Bloomberg's now, why would you think that, right? Why would you think that? Right. Well, uh, watch out. I'll play the rest of this and check out Bloomberg's reaction. You won't believe it. I'm asking you. That's ridiculous. Why would you think that? It's an outrage for you to accuse one of our I'm not agencies. Any, I'm just you, asking. By, by asking the question, you're implying that our government does things for political reasons. And maybe every once in a while they do. But it's your job to prove it. Just the allegation against our government, I, I personally I take as an offense. No, 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 I'm just asking you if you thought that there was some political motive behind the travel advisory one, or the FAA Number decision. one, I wouldn't know. Because a lot of people in Israel do, you know. I don't know. You don't know. And the other people don't know. But just the, the, the tone of the question of trying to create dissension, it's insulting to America. He's not trying to do that. Well, when terrorists try to terrorize us, uh, the reality is that their ability is minimal, especially what the Israeli government and the army does in protection and security and in offense, by the way. Isn't that a hell of a reaction? Well, I mean, Bloomberg... Isn't that amazing? He feels offended, and it's like, no, he. I think he's just doing a misdirection technique. Bloomberg's yeah. obviously they're playing politics himself. Yeah, like, yeah. So he's doing he's doing he's doing the common misdirection. Like, well, how dare you accuse of politics in this kind of a situation? Right. Your right. tone of your voice is really right. uh, really subjective. Some people think the reason he's doing this is because he, he's going to run for president. and He wants. Uh, the, I actually uh, give give uh, uh, Wolf. A, a little bronze star there for, for asking, asking the question. The question that yeah. should be asked. I know, I know. I was surprised too. And I just, you know, it shows you why they never ask those people those questions because yeah. they just get trounced on air when it happens. Uh, by the way, Bloomberg will not go back for another three months yeah. on CNN after this interview. Yeah, no kidding, huh? Jeez. Uh, all right, so uh, we got to get into some of the uh, stuff that's related to the show because that's pretty much the rest of it. We do have a couple of things to cover before then. This one I thought was kind of, uh, you tell me, because this is totally unrelated. This is kind of technology related. Got it. You know how sometimes companies will work with an outfit like Bloomberg to kind of run a positive piece on them. Apple does this all the time. Google does this all the time. Microsoft does it. They'll work with a trusted journalist like Walt Mossberg to write a really nice piece, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, Samsung worked with Bloomberg to, uh, speaking of Bloomberg, you know Bloomberg owns a news, right? Bloomberg yeah, News, yeah, Bloomberg right? Bloomberg News, yeah. They wrote a piece about how Samsung is run by a family that is Steve Jobs times 25. Are you interested in that? Oh, man. You want to see that? Oh, this is good. All right, okay. Oh, you man. visited their headquarters. You have some understanding of the structure, I imagine. 
do you feel like you have complete understanding of the structure? Because it's, I, I know complicated, and this is a fairly complicated one. Does, does anybody really have complete understanding of Samsung's structure? I mean, there are 74 companies that are part of the Samsung group, and they are all part owners of each other in this kind of ridiculous maze of cross-holdings that somehow the Lee family controls with only 2% of the total shares of stock out there. But they've managed to control the company since 1938. This reminds me of Ivan Kruger, the match king, or dare I even say Enron, although this is no suggestion here that there's something sleazy about this or, or dishonest about it. But why have such a complicated ownership structure? Is it about taxes? I think, you know, it's partially about taxes. It's partially about maintaining family control. So Samsung is obviously, you know, one of the largest companies in the world. It's certainly the largest company in South Korea. You know, its revenues are equivalent to about a fifth of South Korea's gross domestic product. And to be able to hold on to all of the various businesses there, from life insurance to amusement parks to smartphones and televisions and all the things we know Samsung so well for, requires this bizarre sort of arrangement between companies so that the Lee family remains at the center. Talk to me about the influence that the Lee family has, the patriarch of the family has, over the day-to-day -day life of Samsung workers or at Samsung's business? Well, this really can't be underestimated. I mean, when we're talking about Lee Kun-hee, the, the current chairman of Samsung, it is sort of like Steve Jobs at Apple times 20. He is really revered within the really? company. Yes, the culture More of that company. More than Steve Jobs. Yes, because of the way that the, com the company functions, it all sort of rolls up to the chairman. And everybody you talk to when you go to visit Samsung and visit their various divisions, you might ask them, like, how have you become so successful? And, and to a man and woman, they will answer the same way. They say, it is because of the vision and the leadership of the chairman. I mean, it's really sometimes quite strange. Um, so as a result, the chairman looms very largely over Samsung. And with his son, you know, waiting in the wings, there's a lot of anxiety about whether or not he'll be able to step into some very, very big shoes. Yeah, it sounds more like Chairman Mao than Chairman Steve Jobs in terms of the sort of the reverence. And didn't you write about, is, was, was a story about the, his voice piped through the offices? Or, or Tell me yeah. about that. So if you are in South Korea and you go to Samsung's executive training facility, which is actually next door to an, an amusement park that Samsung owns called Everland. And the only reason I mention that is because, in fact, it was the amusement park for many, many years that was actually the owner of the entire Samsung group. That was the company that was the holding company, if you will, for all 74 divisions of Samsung from shipbuilding to microprocessors. But go right next door to that amusement park and you'd visit the training center where the voice of the chairman would be sort of on speakers randomly in different hallways and in different rooms. What? I, know, I know what he says. Uh, remain seated, please. <laughs> Keep working, please. Keep your hands and arms inside the vehicle at all times. Doesn't this just keep getting weirder? <laughs> this is well. Part of it might be also uh, cultural. You oh, know, yeah. um, you oh, know. Yeah. It, it, I don't. Oh, yeah. I wouldn't say Chairman Maoish, but I mean, it's one of those things. It where is funny though that they have Asian they were, corporations. Uh, and it was a holding company from the from the from the carnival, yeah. <laughs> including the Frankfurt Room, which is really almost a shrine to the chairman and recreated the hotel room in Germany where he gave an address back in the 90s that sort of set the new direction for the company. Samsung bought all the furniture from that hotel room, shipped it to Korea, and reassembled it there next door to their amusement park. 
Hey, you know they make cars, right? Samsung? Yeah. yeah. They make Samsung cars. You going to get one? I wish they sold them here. All right. I have a Samsung refrigerator. Does that count? That was as far out of left field as we're going to get because the rest <laughs> all is infield. Oh. Uh, did I talk about in the show that uh, Russia made a great deal with Cuba and they're going to be reopening bases? Yeah. And they At least forgi- that's the scuttlebutt. And they've forgiven all that debt. Yeah. yeah. This clip plays a little bit because I don't think we had a clip for it last week. Oh, no, I don't think so. Meantime, Russia may be reopening a Soviet-era base in Cuba. It was once used to spy on the U.S. During the Cold War, it was part of the largest intelligence operation outside Moscow for gathering radio communications. Jan Crawford is in Washington with the Kremlin's latest maneuver. Jan, good morning. Good morning, Margaret. Russia closed this Cuban spy base in 2001 under pressure from the United States. But it now appears Russian President Vladimir Putin is applying some pressure of his own. Putin reached the provisional agreement to reopen a Russian Cold War era spy base while visiting Cuba last week. The base is located in Lourdes, 150 miles from the coast of Florida. It was established by the Soviet Union after the 1962 Cuban Missile Crisis brought both nations as close as they would come to the brink of war. Our resolution will call for the prompt dismantling and withdrawal of all offensive weapons in Cuba. The base was open from 1967 to 2001 and uh, was a very substantial facility at its peak uh, with about 3,000 people. As chief of the Cuban Armed Forces in the 1990s, Raul Castro boasted that 75% of Russian intelligence on America was gathered from Brother Fidel's small island nation. In exchange for Russia's return to the base, Cuba will be rewarded with up to $32 billion of debt relief. News of Russia's plan to reopen the base comes at a time of tense Russian-American relations. Good afternoon, everybody. And coincides with President Obama's announcement for more sanctions against Russia for refusing to curb separatist violence in Ukraine. We have to see concrete actions and not just words that Russia, in fact, is committed to trying to end this conflict along the Russia-Ukraine border. At the time of its closing, the Cuban base was an expensive venture for a Russian government looking to cut costs. That's why reopening and reinvesting in the aging facility is largely being seen as symbolic. It's a way to demonstrate to the United States that, from a Russian perspective, if the United States continues on the course uh, that it's on in dealing with Moscow, Uh, The relationship may uh, return to uh, what it was like at the time that that base was built. Now, Russia's return to its spy base in Cuba may not draw an immediate response from the White House because the U.S. has been under criticism of its own from the international community for its spying ventures in Europe. Gail? Got it. Thank you, Jan. Thanks, Jan. Well, at least we still have a base there. (laughs) It's like, you know what? You know, Russians love to play chess. It's one of their 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 things. Uh, it's one of their hallmarks. I mean, some incredible chess champions came from from Russia. This is what you see right now is one of the biggest chess games there is. We're, they're moving pieces. Putin's moving pieces. Obama's okay. moving pieces. I got before we get to the chess game because we're gonna. That's what all after this next clip. What's all we got left is chess game. All right. Actually, I have two clips. But I'm gonna, I, your choice. All right. Chase's choice. Chase's choice. Chase's choice. Brooklyn Bridge security questioned after mysterious white flags. 
or orange juice sales at an all-time low? We're going to have to go with orange juice because I already know about the first one. But Okay, <laughs> orange juice sales, the real story, obviously. Chris, drink your juice. And a sign of the changing times in the news today, it's about an iconic part of the American breakfast, now on the ropes. We're talking about orange juice. Sales are in a free fall, now at a record <laughs> low. ABC's Matt Gutman tells us what is happening to an American classic. For generations, it's been the staple of... Delicious part of this nutritious breakfast. But orange juice, that Sentinel posted near the cereal and toast, has a problem. Last month, Americans bought less orange juice than they ever have since they started keeping track. Over the past decade, sales down 38%, blamed largely on a devastating bacteria killing Florida's citrus crops. Recent studies showing it's also rich in calories and sugar. And then there's a the competition, aisles and aisles of it. All sorts of fruit juices, there are vitamin waters, mineral waters, coconut waters. It's almost overwhelming. The Florida Department of Citrus is trying to win back soured consumers with new ads. This is Captain Citrus. Captain Citrus! <laughs> and tapping Marvel Comics to bump the rotund Captain Citrus in favor of someone more buff. Because what the industry needs right now is a superhero. Matt Gutman, ABC News. Wow. Horrible. All right, wait a minute. How horrible is that? First off, you guys, chat room. What did we just hear or see if you're watching the video stream? I just saw uh, an orange that was a superhero. No, 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 no. What what was that whole package? What what did you just see, Chris? Come on, orange come on. juice. I should buy more orange juice. That's right. That was. A, but what is that called? What is what is something when they're showing you and they want you to buy something? What is that called? Chris? A subliminal message? No, suggested no, messaging. No, no. What are you trying to get at? It, it happens in between. Like you know, we'll be right back after these. It's a it's uh, a message. Message, uh, also known as. Commercial. It was a commercial, Chris. Oh, oh. For orange juice. Yeah. You know why people aren't buying orange juice? Mm. It's expensive. Well, there's that. It's expensive. But I, you know what? I love orange juice. And I will still love orange juice, even if they uh, discontinue it, which I don't see that happening. All right, Chase. Are you ready to uh, get into this thing? You ready to get into this? Let's do this. All right. So these next clips will be related to um, the uh, MH17 flight, which is the majority of the show is going to be dedicated to talking about. We have a little... Uh, privacy stuff at the top of the show to go for, through first, though. You mean an NSA up, update, as always? <laughs> yeah, an NSA update, as always. Uh, why don't we start with kind of the obvious question, then we'll work our way in. Uh, why would an airline be flying over a war zone? Let's start there. Right. And then we'll answer that, and then we'll sort of talk about, we're going to look at Putin, we're going to talk about all kinds of stuff. All right. But this, just to get us thinking about, like, sort of some of the dynamics about the situation. In the midst of the crash of Malaysian Airlines Flight 17 from Amsterdam to Kuala Lumpur, one question that inevitably comes to mind in the wake of this tragedy is why airlines are allowed to fly over dangerous areas like the border of Ukraine. In reality, the practice of flying over volatile zones all over the world is not uncommon. And it all comes down to money. A recent Associated Press article raised the question of why this air route was still being used. The reporters discovered that despite warnings of the dangers, airlines around the world continue to use this popular flight path rather than reroute, which would have required more fuel and which would have ultimately taken more time, making ticket prices more expensive for customers. Earlier today, I spoke with Captain Ross Amer, who is an aviation expert with Aero Consulting Experts. Captain Amer says that airlines take distance, curvature of the earth, and wind into account when planning a route. 
Pilots themselves more or less have a final say in which route they choose to fly. However, pilots with, from airlines with fewer financial resources are pretty much stuck to the route that they are assigned. That's because the airline has to pay for flight plans and for permission to fly over each country, which can be quite expensive. Up until yesterday, the Federal Aviation Administration and similar international agencies issued warnings about the route over Crimea, but not the area where this plane was downed, which was about 200 miles away. Now that area is being included in those warnings. With that being said, there are many other volatile areas all over the world that airplanes are still allowed to fly over but are only warned against. They include Iran, Iraq, Syria, Afghanistan, Yemen, Pakistan, the Sinai Peninsula, North Korea, and almost all of Africa. Many flights have been rerouted from their Iraq routes as a result of ISIS fighting with government forces. But commercial flights over the other areas still happen on a daily basis. So the next question you might ask is, is there a safe height for airlines to fly at to avoid being shot down? The simple answer is no. For conflict areas, many times, airlines will set a minimum altitude for airlines to fly. For Ukraine, it was 32,000 feet. The Doom Malaysian Airlines flight was flying at 33,000 feet and was weighed down by fuel saved for the rest of the journey, making that plane fly over only 1,000 feet above the lowest recommended altitude for flying over this conflict zone. Mm. But again, flying higher doesn't necessarily make you safer. Obviously, as a result of this most that. recent plane crash, most, if not all, airlines have changed their flight paths to avoid Ukraine. But before this incident, the area was declared safe by international aviation authorities. Clearly, that was just not the case. So, in the wake of this tragedy, and out of an abundance of caution, airlines will likely begin to reconsider their routes to ensure that they are traveling in safe skies. Reporting in Washington, Megan Lopez, RT. Uh, the one part of her report that wasn't accurate is the FAA, before this incident didn't permit U.S. carriers from flying over Ukraine. So when she said what she just said... The FAA? Well, the FAA is already... This was this was before the incident. Obviously, Malaysian Airlines doesn't have to adhere to FAA right. regulations. Yeah, so. yeah. yeah, there was also uh, some Indian Airlines that were yeah, flying there. Yeah, so to say that no one uh, was, uh, you know, uh, adjusted plans, that's not exactly true. Word... Uh, all right, so now let's dive into uh, Putin and his inner circle and uh, do uh, just look at the framing of everything. Maybe we'll break down a few of the phrases they use. Even look at the imagery they display, all of that kind of stuff. Take it all in. Remember, when you're assembling something like this, every second, every soundbite, every imagery, everything is particularly chosen. The, you don't have a package for national TV that just accidentally comes together. You don't even have it for a podcast, let alone national TV. So make sure everything you watch, you watch carefully. One week after the downing of Flight 17, the world's attention remains focused this morning on Vladimir Putin. Headlines in the days after the disaster singled the Russian president out. Look at that. that uh, the Sun reads, Putin's missile, the Daily News, Putin's war, Daily Mirror, slaughter at 33,000 feet. or 33, Time Magazine's latest cover story is entitled go. Cold War II. Look at that. Look at that great shot of Putin with an airplane in the shadow. That's a good one. Newsweek dubs Putin Ooh. a pariah. The pariah, and look, he's got a mushroom cloud in the reflection of the wow. sunglasses. Isn't that great? Wow. And, of course, his uh, skin is dead like a zombie. 
the West's public enemy number one. That magazine offers a rare look into his personal life and daily routine. Michelle Miller is here with some of the new revelations. Michelle, good morning. Good morning to all of you. And despite his leading role on the world stage, the man Forbes recently named the most powerful in the world has remained much of a mystery. Now, interviews with members of his inner circle done over the course of more than three years are telling us much more about the life he leads beyond the public eye. In public, Russian President Vladimir Putin is known for his icy stare, seemingly impenetrable, much like the life he leads. Let's just point out that this is running on the CBS Morning News. Yeah, good morning. <laughs> he doesn't talk, an interpreter says. He feels no need to smile. Doesn't the interpreter talk. was one of dozens of sources who spoke to Newsweek writer Ben Judah. The question of what does Putin do every day, I think, is a hugely important question. Photos of the shirtless president horseback riding and fishing have given us a glimpse of his personal life. Gotta get those but in those there. close to him have revealed new details, like his morning routine, a late breakfast, then a solitary swim, where, quote, assistants suggest he gets much of Russia's thinking done. In his office, the ex-KGB officer shuns technology, instead relying on paper documents and Soviet war-era landlines. Wonder why that might be. He's so paranoid. So paranoid. Why might that be? It paints a weird, miserable, sinister, lonely life. So hold on a second. Wakes up, has a late breakfast like I do, then goes for a swim, which actually sounds frickin' wonderful and healthy. Right. And then has the foresight to realize of the prevalence of the NSA surveillance. So he uses paper and then they frame it as it's weird. Well, maybe he just doesn't like using Snapchat. What about mentioning the fact that he has a love life? What about mentioning the fact that he has a daughter? In which Putin talks to very few people, is extremely isolated. He's obsessed with knowing what the world is saying about him. Aides prepare daily press clippings. And while he rarely uses the Internet, his advisors show him parodies. Hello, uh, Vlad, it's Barack. I'm sorry, sorry, I've been playing iPhone game Candy Crush. So addictive, I just take the candy and I crush it. In reality, Putin has a strained relationship with President Obama (laughs) and other world leaders. When he travels abroad, he only eats food cleared by the Kremlin. Uh, By the way, same with Obama. Same exactly. Yeah, actually most leaders. Everything he will need arrives by plane load. Also the same with Obama. Yeah. Russian cooks, Russian cleaners, Russian waiters. Exactly the same with Obama. And Merkel and and, and Tony Blair. Oh, wait, he's not the... The president is indifferent to the offense of the host nation. Fate points out in the chat room that uh, Putin isn't quite as obsessed about uh, seeing what people are saying about him because in the U.S. we're so obsessed we collect three days worth of the entire freaking Internet. (laughs) Ding. He's clung to power ever since becoming president in 2000, even finding a way to sidestep term limits with a stint as prime minister. His inner circle calls him czar, implicitly linking him to the iron-fisted rulers of Russia's past. Calling him the czar stopped being a joke it became real and it just reflects how he grew more and more powerful and they grew to fear him more and so little is known about president putin's private life the new york post and other outlets report this morning that putin's 29 year old daughter maria lives in the netherlands with her dutch boyfriend and citizens there including public officials they're calling for 
her deportation. You know, they're saying very unkind things, writing names on her picture, asking her to leave the country. And they know where she lives. Yeah. And we've got coming up a man who's known him and who's met him, General Jim Jones. Oh, my goodness. He's met him. All right. Interesting conversation coming up. Thank you, Michelle. Thank Thank you, Very interesting. Yeah. uh, Yeah. You know why his daughter's over there? Boyfriend. Yeah, because uh, they got big business over there. Lots of business going in over there. All right. Interesting that it was a Dutch flight that... uh, so uh, let's, uh, when the news hit that this flight had landed, crashed, smashed into the earth, Shep's on the news deck with his big touch screens. Yeah. And he's ready to break the news. Oh, really? And Shep's there. Does he, he have his remote He's going to bring it straight from the government because, you know, every day, in fact, we've got some clips this week, uh, every day the State Department holds a press conference live. They stream it live to all of the news stations and they also release it up on YouTube, which is where I catch it. And so Shep taps into the live feed to bring us the United States government's absolute latest information about flight MH17. Oh. You want to see how it went? Yeah, let's, let's see From it. the news deck. From the deck. Ukraine now spans nine miles. Large debris fields tell us one thing, that something happened in the air, and then it came to the ground. Jen Psaki, the State Department spokesperson, live. The Afghan IEC began auditing ballots from the Afghan presidential runoff. The audit is being conducted in Kabul by the IEC under close supervision. Well, this is uh, just highly inappropriate, I would say. Uh, They are going through day to day. Each day the State Department has a briefing. Each day there are State Department reporters who are there. That is their beat. They are assigned to be there. And you get a long list of things going on all over the world. And then you get to ask questions. Today, a Malaysian Airlines jet has fallen from the sky over a war zone. And the State Department is beginning with routine matters. You figure it out. I can't figure that out. Uh, Whether they will get, they will certainly get to this. Jennifer Griffin, I can't believe what just happened. (laughs) That's the State Department, Shep. Um, I'm not surprised. Um, But uh, at this point in time, what we're hearing from Pentagon officials and other U.S. official sources, they're not uh, confirming how this plane went down. You know, the whole the whole media's reaction to this thing has been such a clown show. Our opening clip is a testament to, like, how they just take advice and information from anybody and just run with it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll play that in a minute. Uh, all right, so uh, you remember the last time we had a big uh, controversy was the whole uh, Crimea situation. Yeah. And uh, to blow, a, to do a massive, to take a massive blow to the Russian state-backed media, you had uh, the reporter Liz, I'm forgetting her last name, uh, she left RT in a very public way. Remember this? Oh, that's right. And, uh, and then she it, had her big thing, and she and like, dropped it, the mic. Gone. And then it came out that it there was a right wing financing group that was behind it. They 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 were even like pre tweeting that she was about to do it. Right. And they knew about it. And and that group was directly connected to Victoria Newland, right? Who was over in Ukraine saying f the EU, right? right? Yeah. So. Guess what? Another big controversy happens where you've got Russia saying one thing, the U.S. says another thing, and oh my goodness! So, someone's going to quit? An RT reporter quit. Isn't that crazy? What? And you know where they went? Immediately afterwards, while they while everything was still up in the air, just like Liz, immediately sat down over at CNN. Please tell me not. We Abby. don't have Please. time for propaganda. Those are the words of President Barack Obama a few hours ago as he called for a credible international investigation into what caused... Malaysia Airlines Downing. My next guest has worked for five years at Russia State Television called Russia Today, otherwise known as RT. Sarah Firth worked in Moscow and London covering stories such as the war in Syria, 
riots in Turkey and the surveillance programs. But today, she publicly quit RT, announcing her departure on Twitter with the words, I am for the truth. And she joins me now in the studio. So, Sarah, this is an incredibly sensitive issue because propaganda has been the name of the game. And the channel you worked for and that you were part of for the past five years has been really stirring and fanning this, this, the, the flames of propaganda. So why did you decide now to call it quits? Um, it was a long time coming, the decision. Um, I've been thinking about it for a while. I've been discussing with RT um, the possibility of moving on. So uh... That was actually RT statement, too, as they said, uh, well, actually, Sarah's been talking to us about quitting for, uh, for a while now. Yeah. Um, this was kind of... The, the final nudge, I think, for me, watching the, the story unfold and the way that RT were handling it. So tell me precisely what, precisely what you mean by that. How? Um, it's, it, it's particularly apparent when it comes to breaking news stories and particularly very sensitive ones like this. Um, there, there's not that sort of journalistic network in operation where you can trust that what's getting put on air is... Uh, verified and true. That's that is not the case anywhere else. No, it, no, of course not. And um, it's not just that it's not happening. There's not the the drive to make it happen. Um, let, let me just quickly quote your your series of tweets today. First of all, you said, uh, "I resigned from RT today. I have huge respect for many in the team, but I'm for the truth." And you've said the RT style guide rule number one quote It is always Ukraine's fault and add whatever name of whatever Ukrainian official. You said also that we work for Putin. Isn't it interesting how, again, this is all her word, and it's, it's, sort, of a, it's sort of exactly what everyone needs to hear to totally kneecap all Russia, Russia Today reporting during this entire crisis. So obviously right now they're setting up their narrative. They're, they're setting up the case of opinion or to try to craft the case of public opinion. And it makes it so what happens is... is if Russia comes out with something, they release it through their state media, but now they've been delegitimized in this yeah. debate, and so nobody listens to it. We'll get to more of that in a little yeah. bit. But I just thought that was an interesting little uh, repeat of what we've seen happen. It seems a little too much to be coincident, but uh, yes. So, and of course, uh, MH17 is not the first passenger plane to ever be shot down. This is not the first. No. The images we're seeing now. 298 victims of a passenger plane shot out of the sky. It's happened before. July 3rd, 1988. What was supposed to be a short, roughly 30-minute flight from Iran to Dubai ended in tragedy. 290 innocent passengers became victims to ongoing tensions in the region. Iran Air Flight 655, mistakenly shot down by the American Navy ship, the USS Vincennes. Well, certainly it was a shock because uh, the Russians had just uh, shot down a Korean uh, passenger plane a few months before, and uh, the U.S. had never done that. So it was shock and disbelief, certainly. And just as we're seeing today, the incident back then sparked international outrage, finger-pointing, and controversy, all of it directed at the United States. It seems likely there was an inadvertent, tragic mistake. Given these circumstances, why shouldn't the United States pay reparations to the families who have these lost ones? Mark, were you out there banging for reparations uh, when our hostages were held against their will for so many months? Officials claim the U.S. Navy ship acted in self-defense in international waters. 
firing two surface-to-air missiles at what was thought to be an enemy warplane. I'm not going to dignify with a response to the charge that we deliberately destroyed Air 6, Iran Air 655. Even the then vice president and presidential candidate George H.W. Bush stood rigid, saying, quote, I will never apologize for the United States. I don't care what the facts are. I'm not an apologize for America kind of guy. Despite the enormous loss of civilian life, military leaders defended the action. Captain Rogers acted reasonably and did what his nation expected of him in the defense of his ship and crew. The tragedy he was actually accommodated for it. Happened at a time Well, not just for that, but he received an accommodation. of heightened tensions during the Iran-Iraq war. The USS Vincennes was then assigned to the Persian Gulf to help support friendly shipping. Iran condemned the attack, claiming the US acted negligently in firing the missiles, marking yet another negative milestone between the two countries. For the Iranian leaders and especially for Khomeini, uh, it was an indication that the U.S. might really openly come into war with Iran on the, uh, on the side of Iraq. And uh, that essentially led him to the conclusion that he had to end the war. Years later, the United States did agree to pay more than $60 million to the victims' families Ooh. Ooh. for the downing of Iran Air Flight 655, though never fully admitting responsibility. Never apologized. Or apologizing for what happened. Nope. George Howell, CNN, Chicago. Now, uh, the thing he left out is when we shot down that Iranian plane, it took Reagan four days to be convinced to leave vacation, and he was pissed because he had to leave vacation a couple of days early. He didn't want to lose out on the, the reservations he had. Yeah, his 27-day vacation just wasn't enough. But, you know, Obama's been doing some fundraising. Thanks, Obama. I'm just saying, history's a bitch, right? Yeah. I mean, look at that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right, I think that's good. We got more in the uh, pre-show folder. But you guys can go watch it for yourself. I feel like we should probably get rolling. What do you think? I think we've primed the pump, Chris. Yeah, yeah. We've primed it. Now we're ready to start the engine. Gross. (laughs) (laughs) Just saying it's gross, that's all. And just what? Guess what, Chris? Mm. We just gained a Patreon. Hey, that's awesome. That's good. This is Unfilter, episode one hundred and seven for July twenty fifth, two thousand and fourteen. To an MSNBC exclusive, U.S. Staff Sergeant Michael Boyd is at the U.S. Embassy in Ukraine and says that he saw a missile in the air hit the plane. He is on the phone with us. Well, I was looking out the window and I saw a projectile flying through the sky and it would appear that the plane was shot down by a blast of wind from Howard Stern's ass. So it would appear that the plane was shot down. Can you tell us anything more from your military training of of what sort of missile system uh, that may have been coming from? Well, you're a dumbass, aren't you? I'm sorry, sir. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back with all the latest next. Welcome to Unfilter episode 107 of Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly show that's distracting you. From all of that TV you shouldn't be watching. My name is Chris, and joining me every single week 
is the always excellent Mr. Chase. Uh, Baba Booey, how you doing? <laughs> how great was that intro, right? I heard that a couple of days ago. <laughs> yeah. And my God. Yeah, it's that been was going awesome. around. That it, was awesome. It has indeed been going around, but I just but, thought. But it does go to prove, it proves that a lot of these reporters. They're just taking it in. They're, they're just, just taking it in. People taking people's word did for you, it and just running you, with it. Did you hear about how he social engineered himself on the air? No, tell me about it. Okay. So basically, this guy who's obviously pranking for Howard Stern, he doesn't work for Howard Stern, but he yeah. told Howard <laughs> he, he told Howard Stern oh, how he, he social engineered this. So he called the assignment desk. Yeah. Okay. And he said- This is like a thing he does, right? Like, right. Or he used to do. Right. Yeah. And he does this every once in a while just for fun. Okay. And it's, it's, it's increasingly harder and harder to get to Yeah. Do. But he calls the assignment desk of the news, and he says, "Hey, I'm, uh, you know, hey, I witness this. I'm a sergeant. I'm in at military. the embassy. Blah, blah right, blah. right, right." And so what they go was, well, "We just can't put you on the air. We have to vet you first. Sure, of course, of course. So what they do is they go and they put uh, one of their resident uh, experts on, which was a general in the army, I believe. They put him on the phone. They go, "Our, our soldier. So what? What kind of missile was it?" And he goes, "Well, I, I don't know, sir. You know." Uh, yeah. And he started naming off some terms that he remembered because he was in the service. The yeah. guy was in the it service It seemed before. like he might be just the way he spoke. Right. And they go, oh, yeah, 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 you're, you're good to go. And so the general yeah. gave him the A-OK. Well, and they're in a rush, right? Because, yeah. like, we want to get this on air. we got to right. get people answers. We want to get this Make this is an exclusive. Yeah. It's an exclusive. <laughs> exclusive. Man. Yeah. Bad week to travel. Bad yeah. week to fly. I, tro- I traveled by train. That's why we're doing this episode on Friday, not Wednesday, like normal. Right. And, and by the way, this wasn't Howard Stern's no. one guy. It's well, some as guy far as we does, know. It's one guy that like, likes the show and does it for him from time to time. Uh, and so uh, I traveled by train, thankfully. But if you're traveling by plane, you might have been a little nervous this week. So we're going to get in. Here's how I figure we'll structure the show. There's some privacy stuff that I want to talk about right at the beginning because uh, the, the Intercept, uh, Jeremy Shale and another author published how – and what rationale the U.S. government uses to put you on a terror watch list. Oh. And, uh, of course, it's about as awful as you might have imagined. So we're going to go into that a little bit first. Then I want to dedicate the bulk of the episode to talking about sort of the facts, what we know about MH17, what happened, because it happened the day after last week's Unfilter. I've been clipping like a madman every single day. And uh, then in the second half of the show, we're going to get into the bacon aspect and uh, look at probably the most... Um, plausible conspiracy bacon theory about MH17. So we're going to break it up into two parts, the the facts and then the bacon. Okay, so that way people can separate it and they can just indulge if they want to. But first, we'll start with this leak that's been published by The Intercept. If you ever suspected that your name was added to the terror watch list and you wanted to know why or how you ended up on it, today you might be able to get an answer. The Intercept obtained a copy of perhaps the most revealing document to date about the practice. And here it is, a copy of the rulebook the government uses that spells out when to add a name onto the list and what evidence is necessary. This is what the Bush and the Obama administration have been working so hard to keep out of the hands of the general public. It is 166 pages of unclassified information that Attorney General Eric Holder and others have invoked the state secrets privilege to protect. Intercept reporters Jeremy Scahill and Ryan Devereaux discovered that neither concrete evidence nor irrefutable facts are necessary to place a person's name on the list. Oh. In fact, all it takes is a single White House official to place an entire category of people on the list. Oh. So what exactly raises a red flag? 
Well, destruction of government property, damaging computers used by financial institutions, uh -oh. posting things on social media, knowing or being related to someone that is on the list already, huh. fitting a certain profile. All of those things can blacklist you. Part of the rule book reads, quote, in determining whether a reasonable suspicion exists, due weight should be given to the specific reasonable inferences that a nominator is entitled to draw from the facts in light of his or her experience and not on unfounded suspicions or hunches. Although irrefutable evidence or concrete facts are not necessary, to be reasonable, suspicion should be as clear and as fully developed as circumstances permit. You know, suspicion, not We facts. are also right. learning more about what information the government collects about those on the list. Now, that includes travel itineraries, gun licenses, health insurance information, medication prescriptions, oh, and any geez. card that you carry in your wallet that has an electronic strip on the back. So that could be gift cards or discount cards. It could be a grocery card. It could even be a library card. They also collect academic transcripts, parking tickets, email addresses, and much more. And a number of agencies like the USAID contribute to the collection of this information. Now, the number of people that have been added onto this list has ballooned, with nearly 1.5 million names submitted to the watch list over the past five years, and 99% of those names being approved to be added. Now, take a look at these numbers. These numbers are a visual manifestation of what government critics call a wildly loose classification process. Now, here's where we really have to condemn the Obama administration is Obama, like so much so many other things, has really doubled down on this by loosening what it takes, by really sort of opening the reins. In fact, they go into the Intercept article talking about how the Obama administration, Obama himself, specifically wanted to take advantage of the underwear, underwear bomber scare to loosen these up because they thought that was a point of change. Also remaining on the watch list, people who have already been acquitted of terrorism-related oh, charges. Oh. Because while U.S. courts require evidence beyond a reasonable doubt, watch listing only requires reasonable suspicion. Oh. And the deceased? They are either added or kept on the list to prevent potential terrorists from attempting to steal their identity. It's going to be a big list. Now, the National Counterterrorism Center and the Terrorist Screening Center declined to comment to The Intercept. RT itself has reached out to the Department of Justice, the FBI, and the TSA. We are still waiting to hear back from them. Huh. Reporting in Washington, Megan Lopez, RT. What do you think, Chase? Ugh. Isn't that a doozy? I, we all we all knew that people were being added willy nilly. We we kind of always had that suspicion, right? Yeah. And now that we actually have this 140 page plus document on this, amazing nuts. Yeah, amazing. Great article too on the Intercept. This is one of their better ones in a while. And I've got uh, I've got some of the charts and some of the imagery in the show notes and some of the choice quotes. But you can read the whole thing if you want to. By the way, uh, we're, uh, if you're not watching the video stream, you should. The uh, the TSA guards here, they have fans directly nice. on their hands. That sounds comfortable, man. That must be nice. And they're always staring at Windows XP screens. They don't want to get sweaty mouse, uh, sweaty mouse syndrome. Uh, it's a very, very serious disease. You know why? You can't see their screens either. You're probably playing games. They're probably gaming. Uh, fair enough. SMS syndrome, huh? Mm -hmm. Sweaty mouse syndrome? SMS? 
Uh, so instead of a watch just limited to actual known terrorists, the government has built a vast system based on unproven and flawed premise that it can predict if a person will commit a terrorist act in the future. This is according to the head of the ACLU's National Security Project. She goes on to say, that, or he goes on to say, on that dangerous theory, the government is secretly blacklisting people as suspected terrorists and giving them the impossible task of proving themselves innocent of a threat they haven't carried out. So you're guilty before proven innocent. This, wait, wait, this is a government that we have in our, we have, like, we're innocent until proven guilty. You have to have beyond a reasonable doubt. Yet you have a separate government entity has come up with a list of guidelines that says, eh, you know what? We're not going to listen to that. Right. We're going to throw that out the right. window, and we're going to say reasonable suspicion. And what they have done in the name wow. of preventing another 9-11 is they've streamlined all of the different government departments to work together, so that way it's a very porous process. They can all read to this database, add people to this database, flag people for this database. Yeah, uh, yet you don't know if you're on the database. Right. And in order to find out, like, there's really nothing you can do other than a freedom of information request, maybe, but and they could decline it. And they'll decline it yeah. because of national security reasons. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. So that's why you took the train. Now, here's what I want to know. <laughs> yeah, right. How, where did the Intercept get this from? Because this wasn't a Snowden leak. Well, this is unclassified information. Right. So you think they... So, okay. But I, I, I wasn't clear on that because it sounds like it was unclassified. And then there was some sort of battle to prevent it from being released still. And then somebody won that legal process and the Intercept got it at well, that point. I, I will say this. If it was unclassified... Yeah, and then was. they filed a Freedom of Information Act request, and they have to give that. It was up. like, yeah, I'm not, yeah. Anyways, it's in the clip. Yeah. Supporters yeah. can go watch it again, but it was still kind of confusing to me, like how, yeah. where this came from. Right. Uh, why don't we uh, shift gears? Uh, that if you want to read more, you can in the show notes. But I think the rest of the episode, at least the bulk of the episode, we've got to talk about Malaysian Air 17. This is um, yeah. a tragedy, really. Before we even get into the facts or the bacon of this, we have to acknowledge the loss of life here. 298 people. This was a huge plane triple seven women and children too women and children everybody i just very when, sad when i when i heard of the first accounts of this when i heard of this tragedy um and you know they there were there were some raw pictures and raw yeah. things of the ground i have some in the overtime folder just just man don't go to the overtime fol- folder unless you're absolutely prepared yeah because it's it's yeah. a, it's it's sad it's it's a tragedy that these 298 people lost their lives over all of these crappy effing conflicts that are happening. Yeah, I know. I mean, uh, we I always say on the show, so, show me the money, and, and it really comes back to money. Yeah. <laughs> it comes back to that. You know, and we've been watching this. We've hoped, uh, we've talked about the conflict. You know, we've been talking about it in the terms of uh, military conflicts, you know, separatists fighting uh, the Ukrainian government or yeah. something like that, but we don't really talk about the potential loss of civilian lives, even though it does happen, and this is a very, you know, uh, poignant memory. So, I know not everybody is totally hip on what's happened. It happened Thursday after Unfilter. Here is the breaking news as it was unve- as it was being unveiled to the world. Yeah. I have some breaking news that I want to tell you all about right now. Uh, based on reports from Reuters and Interfax, a Malaysian Airlines flight with about 295 people on board has crashed, we are told, from reports in Reuters and Interfax. This happened in Ukraine near the Russian border. Interfax is citing an aviation industry source as saying this on Thursday. It was pretty raw, right? We didn't really yeah, know what was going on. We didn't have on. any information at that point. And uh, then it also came out fairly soon after that. This is just sort of an aside, but it's also very another another you know indication of the human tragedies. There was some aid researchers lost on board. The health community around the world in utter shock. The International Aid Society says a number of its members were on board Malaysia Airlines Flight 17. 
They were heading to the AIDS 2014 conference in Melbourne, Australia, scheduled to start this Sunday. Typically attended by thousands from all over the world, and among them, leading HIV experts. And keynote speaker Bill Clinton, your buddy. Uh, so that's pretty sad. Did you know? Keynote speaker at the AIDS conference was Bill Clinton? I didn't know that. Yep, yep. Uh, and immediately afterwards, uh, John McCain comes out and starts suspecting Russian involvement. It has the earmarks of a tragic mistake made by someone who had the capability to shoot down an aircraft. And we know, at least from the last few couple of weeks, that that could be Russian or separatist Russian capability. If that's true, this is really, really something that commands our attention to bring this kind of thing to a halt in Ukraine. Pretty devastating. Of course, the the whole scene was a mess. Getting there, uh, you know, there was there was there's different rumors of what happened at the crash site. The cockpit supposedly has been cut in half with the diesel saw. Um, Bodies supposedly have been looted. There was rumors that they'd taken the black boxes, and it turned out they hadn't. Yeah. Um, so well, actually, I thought that they they took them, they but had they got them. They, yeah. uh, they got them. But back. there was rumors they put them on a train to Moscow. Right. That never actually happened. That's the part. They just, they did have them for a little while, and they right. handed them over. Yeah. In fact, they're actually orange boxes. They're actually orange boxes. We do have a picture of them. Yeah. Uh, so the count stands right now at 298 people that were killed in the Malaysian Airlines crash. Uh, we have uh, the good news is uh, that we do see. Uh, that they were able to get valid data off of one of the flight recorders already, and they've downloaded that, so they're yeah. analyzing that right now. Yeah. The U.S. has uh, lo- reveal- revealed, uh, reviewed recently published photographs that show pieces of the fuselage from Malaysia Airlines plane peppered with fairly dense but also widespread chap- shrapnel patterns, which are consistent with a blast from an SA-11 surface-to-air missile. This is according to uh, a defense analyst. Now, the shrapnel damage on the airframe parts that's been seen so far is pretty consistent, but we're seeing these through secondhand pictures. That's right. where we're doing our analysis. Yeah, exactly. Uh, now, the boxes, which are actually on on Wednesday, were downloaded by the AAIB, which is good. Uh, but uh, Did you see the, uh, mm-hmm. I know you're not keeping an eye on the chat, but mm-hmm. uh, Anonymous is saying that some of the victims had their credit cards stolen yeah. and used. That's what they're saying. They also say that like makeup and things were stolen. That kind of... That's just wrong. I, it's it's beyond wrong. I, it, it's I have a satellite image in the, not a right uh, word. in the show notes, and it shows you kind of where they crashed up in the top corner. It's it's a rural area, right? So it was just in this field. People could go and just sort of loot it. I think is yeah, there and, it is, and potentially like you know, you know. So it's it's one of these things. Yeah, you see that little red sort of dark right spot. I believe that's where the this crash. Right here, I think that might be where the crash. Wow. Is. Yeah. Uh, I it, it's it spans a huge range though, so I might be wrong because that's okay. yeah. It spans is essentially the whole range. It's pretty gruesome stuff, uh, very very gruesome. And uh, it's a wheat field in the village of Cabrero. Cabrero, I'm not sure how you say that. Uh, the wreckage of the crash, which killed the 298 people, is in about a 13 square mile area of farmland. So there you go. Still smoking days after too. Uh, and uh, pretty quickly, as all this is moving very fastly, the Ukraine government releases phone calls, supposedly of separatists that they have intercepted, saying that they downed a plane. In phone intercepts made public by Ukraine, a rebel commander first reported a military plane had been shot down. But then, as the first videos appeared online showing a passenger jet, Ukraine officials say the rebels realized their mistake, reporting it was a civilian aircraft, not military. Are there any weapons, one person asks. 
Nothing at all. Civilian belongings, medical scraps, towels, toilet paper. Told that the wreckage made clear it was a Malaysian airliner. Another person answers, well then, it was bringing spies. Why were they flying? There's a war going on. Yeah, we covered that in this pre-show. They were flying because it saves money. Uh, the uh, here's here's what's here's what's also kind of damning for these Russian pro-Russian separatists that they're not being called. They just were just straight out calling them now pro-Russian separatists. Now, when this thing first started happening, you know, people didn't like the fact that the Ukrainian government was being replaced with people who wanted to align with Russia. They weren't necessarily pro-Russian separatists. They were just separatists, right? right? right. But now, because they've been getting armed by Putin and his group, now they're, they're pro, Russian. Yeah, pro-Russian. So does that mean the right. rebels that we are arming in Syria are pro-U.S. rebels in Syria? Is that Because that would be the same equivalency. Right. Yeah, and be... what happens when one of those asshats shoots down a plane from a missile that we've supplied the Syrian rebels? Because the same damn thing could happen for the bad guys we're backing. So, so the question is, who pushed the magic button, right? I mean, who? who I think who is trained? I mean, well, here's I, what I think is the damning piece. Okay, okay. All right. The separatists tweeted right around the time that MH17 would have been shot down that they just successfully shot down another Ukrainian Ukrainian military jet. Right. And then when it came out that it was a passenger plane that had been down, they deleted the tweet. Mm. Uh, that's pretty damning, right? I mean, yeah, that's kind yeah, of that's, pretty... that's guilty-ish. Yeah. So I I don't think it's all that suspicious to think that they did, maybe didn't know what they were targeting. They've been they probably have been supplied the weapons. Now I know we from have Russia. I know we have a clip here talking about the missile launching system, mm-hmm. and I know from some of the things that I've read about the mi- missile launching system, this is a sophisticated piece of machinery. Yeah, yeah, we have info about it in the show notes. In fact, uh, we have a video that covers all of the. Uh, all of like the 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 bulk the buck it's buck b u k missile system the book the book yeah. yeah all of that is all of that's in the show notes to give you all the details like the range it can shoot yeah. and stuff like that uh, and immediately they're saying okay look this has to be Russian weapons in fact uh, the U S just came out right and said Russia has enabled this attack U S intelligence officials say all the evidence still points in the same direction that Russia provided the missile used to shoot down that airliner. Pictures of the wreckage show pitting, intelligence officials say, is consistent with shrapnel from the warhead of a surface-to-air missile. And in a conversation intercepted by Ukrainian intelligence, a known pro-Russian rebel leader is overheard reporting, we have just shot down a plane, although he did not yet know it was a civilian airliner. Still, one intelligence... Now that recording is provided by the new Ukrainian government's intelligence agency. The new U.S.-backed Ukrainian government intelligence. Just keeping that in mind. Okay. I'm not making that invalid. I'm just saying they're the only ones that you're, are proving it. You're just documenting where the there, source came from. There is no That's other. all you're doing. The U.S. has even said they were unable to validate it. This is just from them. So they got this call right away and leaked it day of the crash. This official said, we do not know who pulled the trigger. But Senator Saxby Chambliss, the ranking Republican on the Senate Intelligence Committee, said intelligence he's seen shows either way Russia is to blame. Vladimir Putin should be held accountable regardless of whether it was a Russian soldier or a Russian-sponsored separatist that pulled the trigger. Russia either shot down the plane itself or directly gave separatists the order and the ability to do so. Now, uh, it's, it's quickly changed to also just directly to Putin. Um, this is sort of what we know at this point. The, we still have to have the flight recorders analyzed. We have the remains of the people to go through and also the remains of the plane itself. Yeah, the to go site through. itself. I, yeah. I know that Dutch authorities were there, mm-hmm. I believe, today partially 
Uh, there's uh, unarmed uh, army security escorts with them, mm-hmm. I believe, from, an, uh, I want to say maybe France. I, I don't know, but I know that they are investigating the scene, at least they're trying to, and they found, like, a big piece of the fuselage mm-hmm. a couple miles from the site. Yep. So they're they're finding evidence, and they're going to find something, and hopefully we get some more information. O- Obama says it's already a done deal. Obama knows. We have seen a ticking up of violence in eastern Ukraine that despite the efforts of the Ukrainian government to uh, abide by a ceasefire and to uh, reach out uh, and agree to negotiations, uh, including with the separatists, uh, that has been rebuffed by these separatists. We know that they are heavily armed and that they are trained, and we know that that's not an accident. That is happening because of Russian support. Uh, So, uh, you know, it is not possible for these separatists to function the way they're functioning, uh, to have the equipment that they have. Set aside what's happened uh, uh, with respect to the Malaysian Airlines, uh, a group of separatists can't shoot down uh, uh, military transport planes, or they claim uh, shoot down fighter jets without sophisticated equipment and sophisticated training. And that is coming from Russia. So uh, uh, we don't yet know exactly what happened with respect to the uh, Malaysian Airlines, although obviously we're beginning to draw some conclusions. Yeah, we sure are, aren't we? Definitely beginning to draw some conclusions. And it's interesting because uh, I think, here's my thesis, and I'll tell you now after uh, watching this, the first night this story broke, uh, I was up until about one thirty in the morning creating clips. I was literally clipping faster than they were or slower than they were coming in. So by the time I was done making one clip, I would have like three more to clip that I was. That's the fear. So I've followed this so closely from so many different feeds and I've tried to put the best of all of it. Now, here we are one week removed plus a day. Right. I've tried to put the best of that that still holds up in the show notes. So we're going to talk about a lot of stuff in this episode. And if I forget to cite something, I have tried to put the citations in the show notes, including charts, data, links, everything. Right. Okay. So I just want to say that up front. All right. Now, what Q Collective is touching on is a key part of the information. You have to understand how these systems work and that they're not too super sophisticated. They see a dot on a radar screen. They don't know really how to differentiate. They might get some data, but they're not like jacked into the uh, to the whole flight network system where they're getting no, all of the no. flight IDs and, and but, recognizing uh, but, them. Now, I thought, unless I misread, that the, the Book system has the ability to get a transponder from the aircraft. We're going to get into this. Okay. So uh, before we get into the bacon aspect of this, because this is where we start to go into bacon territory, I want to stop and we'll just take our mid-show break and thank the patrons of the Unfiltered Show because they really are the folks who keep us on the air, who keep us going every single week. And I was uh, I was excited to see that just before the show started, we actually picked up one new patron. That's right. Which is a great way to support the, the Unfiltered Show. And we've actually had a bit of a slide recently, too, which is really discouraging when I'm working really hard on this show. Uh, so I really was, it kind of gave me a little boost to see we picked up one more right before yeah. we started. We're sitting right now at 294, so we slid from last week. In fact, we now have five openings in the swag slot, which would be a good time to jump in because we're probably going to be doing something fairly soon. And you go over to patreon.com slash unfilter to get started, Chase. Yes. Well, that's the place to go where if you really want to be a part of the show, and when I mean just not a part of the show, like in the chat room or you're listening to the show, but truly engaging with what we're trying to do, obviously... This is a fully listener-supported venture, meaning you guys are directly investing in what we're trying to do, and that is sharing the news, mm-hmm. 
and giving you all the angles yeah. and helping you come up with your own conclusions and, to and what's going on. You know, we're able to take stupid risks. Like, we're about to go into a territory that it would be completely inappropriate for sponsors to want to be associated with. No. Uh, And so we wouldn't want to put them in that position. And you enable us to be responsible to you. So the the people I'm trying to make happy are that 294, and and I want to make it even more because we've got plans to expand the show. And eventually I'd really like to be able to take the show on the road and get experiences from all of you out there, meet some of you, and get a little more influence, get, you know, different – points of view in our reporting yeah now the great thing about patreon is you can you know contribute as little as a penny a month if you want you can do as high as a thousand a month and the great thing also is when you become a contributor uh, to unfilter and support us on patreon not only you get access to the very wealth of knowledge if you will database of all the back catalog of content we've been covering the nsa since what episode 54 of the great unfilter yes, show. Sir, yes sir. and so you get access to all of that all the clips, all of them, uh, even the ones that we don't have time to get to. Wow, in, in Chase, the look, at, folder. look at this overtime you, oh, folder this week. Gee, look at yeah, the, there it is right there. Look at that. Look at this is the overtime folder this week. And actually, I would like to take this moment to make a call out to some of our unfiltered supporters who grab this BitTorrent sync. I could use your help. There, is, This is a data mine of great clips and more information about what the hell is going on and who is saying what. Yeah. And I just can't get to it all. There's there's almost I think fifty in here. Wow! And I I could use your help. So if you are a, if you are an unfiltered supporter and you have our BitTorrent sync, and you have this overtime folder this week, I would really appreciate if you could find a few clips, try to make them short, and send them in to us. We could use them in a future show because I believe it, there is data that is worth mining in here. But yep. I just don't have the time. Yep. And so we'll throw things in there. You also get access to all of the all of the notes, all of the clips, everything we talk about. In this episode, yeah, that's the coolest thing, and is we're immediately reportable to you guys. And if and if you do become an unfiltered patron here, Chris, I'll I'll show up some of the screen here. Uh, you could see that you get into a, a kind of a cool little club, if you will. You get to be a part of like the unfiltered nation. <laughs> you get to talk with other yeah. unfiltered fans. You get um, you get to kind of have the bat line to the hosts. And the other great thing too is uh, there's a su- suggestion here, like they would like to see more. Red Book Predictions. Which we've been doing. Which we've we been picked doing. that up. So we'd I love like to hear that. from you guys. Yeah. Uh, you know, in fact, people have been coming to visit the studio from time to time, and the Red Book is a visitor attraction. I Are you point. S- what yeah. about the, is the bell? Yeah, the, well, yeah, the bell and the Red Book. People, okay, fair enough. People thumb through the Red Book. Seriously, nice. it's great. I love it. Yeah, and so uh, what we're going to do today is we're just going to have an intellectual discussion and talk about a possibility with MH17. And the thing is, is your support of this show gives you the opportunity to hear something from a perspective that you're never going to get from the mainstream media. Right. And we have no reason not to do it. It's just our reputations on the line. But I believe history will pan us. I believe in the long run, we will be proven right. We'll see. And, and here, you can help us do that. And here's the thing, you guys. You know, the one thing we, we give you, we set up our ideas and thoughts about the news. But ultimately, the greatest thing about what we're doing is it comes down to you guys. It comes down to what you want to believe what you think we're just going to deliver the the most information that we can from many different varieties of sources we unfilter it we don't cut out different pieces of the clip to try to push something here and there we, no, just, in give, fact, we just give it to you the source is often right in the sink so if you right. think we did you can go listen to the whole thing in its entirety and then you can submit your feedback back to us and you've heard on many multiple episodes we've always heard dissenting views mm-hmm. and we we read them we Absolutely. don't filter those out either so nope. if you want to support us patreon.com/unfilter and you know what, you guys? I asked this last week. I did kind of make a request. I'd love to see that number of patrons up to 300 by next week. And remember, you can contribute anything that you feel is valuable to the content. If you get 
something out of this show. If you are engaged in thought, think about becoming a patron today. Guess what, Chase? Uh, breaking news here in the unfiltered uh, news deck with my uh, large touch screen. It turns out you were right. What do you always say, Chase? Show me the money! That's it right there. That explains what's going on in Ukraine from the airplane downing all of it. And I want to tell you about a friend of mine called the South Stream. The South Stream. South Stream. I've got an image in the show notes. If you got a sec there to pull it up, it's uh, right I'll in the MH. It. It's at the top of the MH17 bacon section. All right. And I'll tell you a little bit about the South Stream right. and why it's a really big deal. A really, really big deal. All right. I have it here. Okay. So here, while I'll pull that up while we talk about it. So take a look at that South Stream we have there on the screen. By the way, image is embedded in the show notes. Okay. It's an off-source section of an oil pipeline that bypasses Ukraine altogether, you might notice, uh, with a total length of 930 kilometers. It will run under the Black Sea which, remember, they just went through a whole bunch of trouble to keep Crimea, which has a port on the Black Sea. Right. Uh, Russia did. It has a So it runs under the Black Sea through an exclusive economic zones of Russia, Bulgaria, and Turkey. With a maximum depth, it will be more than two kilometers, and the design capacity will be about 630 billion cubic meters. Wow. All right? Yeah. The onshore section will cross Bulgaria, Siberia, Hungary, Slovenia. The gas pipe will end in the Tarviniso gas metering station in Italy. Gas branches from the main pipeline will then route to Croatia and the Republic of Sprska, the state formerly known as Bosnia and Herzegovina. In order to Herzegovina. feed Herzegovina. In order to feed the required amount of gas to the South Stream gas pipeline, Russia's gas transmission system will ex- be expanded by a means of constructing an additional 2,500 kilometers of pipeline and 10 compressor stations with a total capacity of 1,516 MW. The project has been named the Southern Quarter and will be implemented in two phases before 2018. Wow. Now, here's why this is a huge deal. Okay. is because this means... This is essentially a straight line from Russia right into the EU at some parts of the EU, and, and, and then they can ship it out from there, right. totally bypassing a lot of the other pipelines in there, a nice big economic agreement that it completely and totally excludes the U.S. Now, this is interesting in itself, but if we look at uh, what else is going on during all of this, uh, there's another pipeline that is getting everybody all upset. We'll talk about that in a second. And by the way, while all this is going on, Russia has sued the EU uh, to the uh, sued the EU in the World Trade Organization over the EU's so-called third energy package. This is according to a news report. The third energy package stipulates that the pipelines on the territory of the EU can't can't belong to the companies that extract the natural gas. The companies should either sell their shares to the EU or pass management of the pipeline to independent companies. So there's some fighting over existing pipeline contracts as well as the EU is mulling over sanctions against Russia. Uh, and so this is these are two things that are going on at the same time. Also, we've talked before about Ukraine has a lot of pipelines that yep. run through it. Yep. And in fact, uh, the Ukrainian government just passed a resolution that they can sell out 49% of their pipeline infrastructure to outside investors. So Chevron wow. and other companies have bu- are buying up 49% of the Ukraine's pipeline infrastructure. In fact, I have an image of the Ukraine's pipeline infrastructure. If you wouldn't mind finding that in the show notes. Uh, and just to kind of show you how, oh, how critical yeah. the Ukraine is to the oil pipeline system and why selling out 49% of the Ukraine's pipeline infrastructure, essentially what that does is it gives U.S. companies toll booths on each pipeline that runs through Ukraine, at least half of them. So now, even when Russia is going to be selling to Europe, the U.S. is going to be getting a cut at those toll booths. Oh, tolls, wow. Right? So, that's, so they really don't like this South Stream thing. They'd rather have the oil going through the Ukraine because they get a cut on that. 
And they also get to kind of control things. They could cut something off, right? They can influence relationships when they're right. They're, they're, they'll be right there in the middle, right? And so look at that. Look at all those pipelines that run. It looks like veins through a heart. And there's some big ones, and there's smaller ones. Yeah, and, and look at all the ins coming from Russia. All the outs go out to, to Europe. It's it's really kind of crazy. Wow. So uh, there's that aspect of it. You okay. got to think of the money aspect of it and the natural resources that are at play. The fact that Ukraine just recently had a new pro-U.S. government. This new pro-U.S. government passes a resolution to sell out 49% of the pipeline infrastructure. Awfully damn convenient for the U.S. Meanwhile, Russia secedes in Crimea, so that way they can keep their port in the Black Sea. Turns out they have a huge pipeline going through the Black Sea, which is also going to help bypass their dependency on the Ukraine. And now that's a really good thing. It's all going on right now. That's the subtext to a lot of the conflict that's happening in Ukraine. That's kind of the base you have to understand. Okay. One of the things that has been really hard, though, is applying pressure to Russia uh, and getting the EU to come along with the U.S. Because you recall we recently talked about like that Brinks formation where they're starting a new development bank. Russia is starting to assert a lot of financial independence, right. trying to become a, a player on the world stage. They are a player, but trying to sort of assert themselves as such. And all this is happening, the U- and the U.S. wants to get everyone involved on sanctions. Stop doing business with Russia. Don't sell them arms. Don't buy their oil. Buy U.S. goods. Buy U.S. oil. Put sanctions on Russia. But they're, getting a, they're having a really hard time getting Europe to move. They really can't get them to budge. It's in a, they're in a bad situation. And this clip kind of gives you some reasons why. The president hasn't rested in imposing sanctions against Russia for the war in Ukraine. Europe has gone along, but only to a point. And Elizabeth Palmer found out one reason why. The push for European sanctions against Russia may be torpedoed by business. A case in point, two brand-new Mistral assault helicopter warships worth more than a billion dollars that the French have built for Russia. France's president, François Hollande, has criticized President Vladimir Putin for supporting the Ukrainian rebels. But he argues that Russia has paid for the ships and France will deliver them. Karl von Wolferen is an international relations analyst. People who want to sell stuff, like the French, the you know, naval equipment, etc., they're not going to uh, let orders of billions of dollars uh, pass them by. For days, Britain has been pushing hard for tough sanctions against Russia. Here's what's at stake. Russia is Europe's number one trading partner, accounting for almost half of all imports and exports. Germany has the strongest ties, getting fully a third of its oil and gas from Russia. And in return, selling the Russians everything from cars to chemicals. Business, the Germans say, means thousands of jobs. You might think that the call for sanctions would be loudest in Holland, still in shock over the deaths of 193 of its citizens. But the Netherlands is the single largest European importer of Russian goods. And when pressed today, the Dutch foreign minister would only say all options remain on the table. The European foreign minister's meeting, Scott, ended in real discord. Certain countries were appalled that France would go ahead and sell weapons to Russia at this time. And predictably, there was no decision on further sanctions. Liz Palmer standing before the Memorial of Flowers at the Amsterdam airport. Liz, thank you. Did you catch the part where they said, like, the Netherlands is, like, the number one uh, importer the of number Russian goods? one of what, yeah, Russian Yeah, interesting. Goods. The people that were in that flight that went down were from... 
the Netherlands. Yeah. Uh, so we're so we, look, read those numbers for the people on the audio version. So this graphic, real simple yeah. graphic in the show notes, shows so gives you an e- idea of the money here. Yeah, the EU exports one hundred and seventy billion dollars to goods. Russia of yep. goods, thirteen billion dollars of investment dollars to Russia. Russia exports. Two hundred and ninety-three billion dollars to the yep. EU yep. with a ten billion dollar investment. So you could see how much money, almost by a two-to-one margin, uh, Russia is yeah. is, is pulling. And by the us. way, I pulled the U.S. number. The U.S. number is like twelve billion for Russia. So it's kind of, you know it's nowhere near the importance no, of these other numbers. No, and that's and and that's one of the things that kind of frustrates me about this. This is no no conspiracy. This is just opinion. these are the hard numbers. This right is the here. hard numbers. But the one thing that frustrates me is you have Dutch people that lost their lives. The majority of people on this plane were Dutch. The Netherlands, and you just heard they pushed the the the, uh, the finance minister for. So what are you going to do? What, uh, right. Well, we're all options. Interesting how he finds himself in that position now. Right. Uh, before you go there, too, uh, the day of the of the crash, Hillary Clinton was being interviewed by uh, Charlie Rose, your buddy, My and friend. he said, uh, "You know, what do you think? What do you think this is going to lead to? What what changes can we make?" And Hillary Clinton herself says, "Well, the real solution here is for Europe to move away from Putin." Today, Charlie Rose interviewed former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton. One of the topics that came up was the Malaysian Airlines crash. So what does the United States do if there is a clear indication and clear evidence that it was Russian separatists and perhaps using weapons from Russia? I think that the first question is, what does Europe do? I think the United States has been very clear in both its uh, criticism of Russia and Putin If there is evidence linking Russia to this, that should uh, inspire the Europeans to do much more on three counts. One, toughen their own sanctions, make it very clear there has to be a price to pay. Number two, immediately accelerate efforts and announce they are doing so to find alternatives to Gazprom. And thirdly, do more in concert with us to support the Ukrainians and to put Putin on notice that he has gone too far and we are not going to stand idly by. There you go. Your future president has spoken on the topic and she's said exactly what the this is exactly what the U.S. wants, of course, because we want to do more business with them. Uh, wow. And, of course, like you mentioned, Chase, there's now a lot of pressure. Yeah. Now, some EU uh, meetings going on today uh, all about fresh sanctions that could be imposed on Russia. That's right. There's been criticisms that Brussels has been sparing Moscow from tougher sanctions for the sake of economic ties. Now, let's look at three key economies in Europe and how their trade has, tra- uh, has changed with Russia since 1999. Germany's main exports to Russia are cars, trains, and medicine, while about a third of its oil and gas comes from Russia, and there are about 6,000 Germany companies registered in Russia, and together they've invested 20 billion euros in recent years. So Germany may be one of Europe's most influential countries, and the fact that it's roughly three times more tied to Russia than the UK may explain why Britain's been more aggressive in pushing sanctions. As we can see, the UK principal export is cars, but it's very low in terms of overall imports, and it's also the largest export coming from Russia is oil and 
and gas. Now, meanwhile, another country to look at is the Netherlands. The Dutch government is under enormous pressure to take a tough stance. It's 193 of its citizens were on board flight MH17. But we can see it has become Europe's largest recipient of Russian exports, while it sends ex- exports to uh, Russia, such as agriculture, mainly flowers, and also technology. So we can see some of the uh, things binding these economies mm-hmm. to Russia, limiting and changing the debate about what sanctions they could take against the country. Here's the other thing, and this is uh, something we don't understand because it's totally outside our world. And in fact, the, what I'm about to read, I'm sorry if I'm a little clunky going through it. It was translated from Deutsch. Uh, but uh, there is a link in the show notes. I suggest you go read. Here's something else about the Netherlands. Uh, the Netherlands is a true paradise for mailboxes for Russia. Mailboxes are like where they go set up an address and put a fake company there. Oh, oh, uh, oh, yeah, cor- like a corporate location, yep. but it's just in uh, mail uh, in uh, administration only. Russians have billions and billions parked in the Netherlands using these mailbox systems, not just for tax reasons, but they have a lot of tax reasons. But also there's like Russians who don't agree with Putin and they need to avoid him. And like, also you know, they put their money there. They put their money there, too. Uh, also not obvious, but the Netherlands is the second largest investor in Russia. In 2012, the Netherlands accounted for over 12 percent of all investments and 15.9 percent of all investments from Russia. Only the smaller, smaller Cyprus, which we remember how that went, scored higher. Wow. In third place was the British Virgin Islands. The second largest Russian company, for example, has 59 subsidiaries in the Netherlands. A Dutch holding company owns all of its European operations. A Dutch holding company owns all 59 subsidiaries. At the end of 2013, the company had $15.9 billion in assets. That's one single Russian company. Novatech, Russia's second largest gas producer, has 800 million euros in a Dutch company called Arctic Russia BV. And that's just like scratching the surface of the financial situation. The most notable, and also one of the most notable names on on the sanctions list the U.S. has been doing, the U.S., if you look at the names of who the U.S. has been sanctioning, it's Gazprom employees, it's oil industry people. That's who we've been sanctioning, individuals by names in these gas companies. And one of the most notable names on this sanction list, I'm not going to be able to get his name right, but it's Gennady Timchenko. I'm sure I'm getting that wrong. Uh, He found one of the, he's one of the world's largest commodity traders. In two thousand uh, uh, he had a uh, uh, he had fifty nine billion in revenues, uh, and he had seven billions of assets on his balance sheet in Netherlands in these through these mailboxes. Wow. Systems. Okay. Wow. So that's the that's, financial that's situation. That's the ultimate show of the money. Now uh, on July 9th, so the uh, plane crashed what on the seventeenth, I believe, right. or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Uh, Mike Whitney on July 9th, writing for Counterpunch, wrote a long piece. I'm going to try to read this. It's really long. But here's what he said on July 9th, well before the plane crash. He says, In Ukraine, the U.S. is using a divide-and-conquer strategy to pit the EU against trading partner Moscow. The State Department and the CIA helped to topple Ukraine's elected president and install a U.S. stooge who has ordered to cut off the flow of Russian gas to the EU and lure Putin into a protracted guerrilla war in the Ukraine. The bigwigs in Washington figured that with some provocation, Putin would react the same way he did with Georgia and invade South Odessa in 2006. But so far... Putin has mostly resisted the temptation. Obviously, we've just seen him supplying rebels with arms and not sending in Russian troops directly, perhaps having Russian troops go in there and offer aid, things like that. Right. Here's the odd part, though. Uh, he, has, he surmises that Washington doesn't have a backup plan if they don't get Putin to bite. 
it's obvious, but the, but the way that the Ukrainian government keeps trying to do the same things over and over again, expecting a different result, that they just keep wanting to poke him. It demonstrates there's no plan B. Either he lures Putin across the border into a conflict, or the neocon plans totally fall apart. If they can't, so they'll have to do. They'll have to demonize Putin as a, as a dangerous aggressor. Either way, who can't be trusted as a business partner because then that you know influences the EU. Well, we can't trust Putin. He's an aggressor. He can't be a business partner with him. All Putin has to do right now is sit tight. Mainly because the, the EU needs Moscow's gas. If energy supplies are terminated or drastically reduced as a result of any of this fighting, prices will rise, and the EU will slide back into recession, and Washington will take the blame. So Washington has a very small window to drop Putin into the fray, which is why we should expect another false flag incident on a much larger scale than the fire in Odessa. Washington is going to have to do something really big and make it look like it was Moscow's doing. Otherwise, their pivot plan has hit a brick wall. This is on July 9th. So this is before this occurred. And I go back to these oil pipelines. If everything goes to the U.S.'s plans... Moscow gets gets reduced as the part as the energy partner. The U.S. steps up in that role in a major way. Plus, we have toll booths all the way through Ukraine, okay. at least on forty nine percent of the pipelines through Ukraine. We've got toll booths. We've got Russia continue to be surrounded. We've got the rest of the West against Russia sliding back their business plans. I mean, it's it's a masterful stroke if the U.S. can pull it off, but it does lead to suggest there was a lot of incentive to potentially make Moscow look like a bad guy now. So, all right. So I'm not saying I, I, I believe in, in this uh, the I potential yeah, I know well. and the potential theory that you're going here. However, are what you're saying is Chris, uh, that obviously since this was written before the head of, uh, before this incident occurred and the incident occurred that somehow Washington came up with this this uh, scenario? Well, here's the problem. Uh, as this article points out, right now, Russia and the EU are like a perfect fit. Moscow's got gas to sell. And the EU's buying it. And Moscow needs to do, and they've got money to spend. Moscow needs to do infrastructure improvements. Uh, I think, uh, you know, Russia provides upwards of a third of the European gas imports. Sure, only, it's like, you know, only a third. That's not, that's not a monopoly like some have made it sound. It's only a third. But with 60 to 80% of that supply right now, it currently travels through Ukraine. So getting control over Ukraine would affect almost 80% of the oil currently supplying the EU from Russia. Wow. It's a huge win, right? So are we going to just shoot down an airplane? Of course not. That would be, that would be, I mean, that, that would just be, I, I, mean, I hope we would never do something right, like that. Exactly. That would be despicable. Right. Uh, uh, but there are a few theories, and I've, I've gone through them. Like, some of them are like, oh, it's a zombie plane. It was the Malaysian Airlines plane that uh, was never actually lost, and then they crashed that, and that's actually what it was. We're not going down that road. Okay. We're not going to get crazy like that. All right. Uh, what if I told you, this is according to an article on Der Spiegel, that back in June, NATO held an exercise where they jammed and confused radar by flying fighter jets in behind passenger jets and disappearing. So, so, and so much so okay. that it puzzled air traffic control that they declared a ground emergency and hit the alarm and grounded a ton of planes, delaying people up to 40 hours in airports because in June, on June 10th and June 5th, at 1,600 hours and 1,400 hours on, on June 10th, 
NATO did a joint exercise where they flew in behind passenger air, set, air jets to see if they would disappear off radar. When the traffic control saw planes disappearing off radar, they freaked out and grounded a bunch of planes and caused delays for 40 hours. Wow. This was in June. Wow. I didn't even hear about this. Why would you? <laughs> Why would you hear about this, right? right? Exactly. NATO exercises, that's nothing to really report home about. Right. But Der Spiegel did because it caused so much consternation for travelers. Because European travelers, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Uh, so it ended up in their report. And... Uh, this is interesting because Russian intelligence has come out and said, our radar and satellite imagery show another plane flying close to MH17. Now, some EU uh, meetings going on today uh, all about fresh sanctions that oh. could be imposed on Russia. That's right. There's we already talked about the sanctions. Here is the uh, information about the other plane. Regarding the second aircraft and what Russia's defense ministry believes it was. At 5.21 p.m. and 35 seconds, another mark of an aircraft appeared at the point of the Boeing crash. This aircraft was steadily monitored by radar station in Ustinesk and Buturinsky during the next four minutes. Having spotted the jet, an air traffic controller failed to identify it, as the aircraft most probably didn't have a self-identification system, which is characteristic of military aircraft. Now, what's amazing about this is you haven't heard a lot about this. We're going to get into this because Russia today has once again been massively discredited. Uh, right as they were starting to report on this kind of stuff, another RT reporter quits. The State Department briefing earlier this afternoon where I asked about separate claims coming from Russia regarding a Ukrainian fighter jet allegedly flying close to the airliner. Now, it's not just Russia saying this has happened. Air India also observed another airplane and reported it. Now, later on, when asked about that, officials said, oh, there was no other planes, no other planes. But yet Air India has quotes in here from their pilots in the Indian Times saying that they saw another airplane. So Rush Today goes ahead and asks the State Department about it. I also asked her about reports of escalated conflict between Ukrainian authorities and anti-Kiev separatists since the plane went down. Take a listen to that exchange. Russia has recently been questioning uh, a Ukrainian Su-25 fighter jet that was flying no more than three miles away from the Boeing plane before it was shot down, and they've sort of suggested that it may have been involved. They don't know, but they're questioning. I think they've it. done more than what. What evidence does the U.S. have to rule out that as a possibility at this point? Because I've heard reports that the U.S. already sort of knocked that out. A, a couple points. First, uh, as we've said, when you look at uh, the kind of you know, markings on the plane and how it looked like it was brought down, uh, obviously that's consistent with an SA-11, which is fired from the ground. Mm -hmm. Um, I haven't seen any information that indicates the Ukrainian jet. Uh, we're, we're still looking into it, obviously. The president of Ukraine has said there was not. But again, we like to independently verify things for Matt before you ask the question. And so I haven't seen information that would indicate that. And all of the, you know, the preponderance of the information that we've laid out and that the intelligence community will lay out was that this was an SA-11 fired from the ground from a separatist-controlled area. Now, I want to point out that, uh, who knows, right, this is, of course, Russia is going to try to spin in this, either they're lying or telling the truth. But what is interesting is they did release radar data and satellite imagery. So uh, Matt from the AP pushes the State Department and says, well, look, uh, the Russians are actually releasing data. So far, all you're giving me is a line on a map. Anybody can draw a line on a map. On the tra the tra this trajectory thing that you uh -huh. said was put out by the uh, I didn't say that was new and... yesterday. We posted that a few days ago. Right. Uh -huh. But, I mean... You know, if you just look at that, a layperson looking at it, mm -hmm. it, it, it's a line drawn on a drawn on a satellite photo with no nothing to back it up. Well, as I said, it's based on a, a series of classified information. Which we have to... Which 
we, we, are, we have to take the leap of faith to believe well, that. Matt, we right? are trying to put as much out of this yeah. out, information out about this as possible. Yeah, one piece. It's one well, piece. I know, of but anyone can draw a line on a on a, on a map. They can. I mean, I, I'm not That's saying that's not that what I, our intelligence community does. But that is what. That's all they've released. That's all they've released. Is a line on a map. Yeah. And so this this narrative starts to pick up traction. Right as this narrative starts to pick up traction, then you get that RT reporter quitting. One correspondent for the Russian network RT was so upset by its coverage of the Malaysia Airlines crash that she quit last week. Sarah Firth, who was based in London, accused the network of being more interested in advancing the Kremlin's narrative rather than reporting the truth. What? Oh, I thought you were saying. Yeah, no, no, oh, no. I was, I was, I was trying to uh, give you a signal. Sorry. So here's the other thing about that. Uh, so she quits, right? She sort of kneecaps this the momentum. This particular narrative starts to pick up. Perfect timing, beautifully. The moment she quits, she goes on CNN, does an interview just like the last RT reporter did. Totally buries the story that also, according to Spanish air traffic controller. Now I don't know why this is legitimate or not, but I'm just. We have several different countries now that have been reporting different things. The Spanish air traffic controller says that it detected two Ukrainian fighters near the Malaysian jet three minutes before it disappeared from radar. This information has then been confirmed by an eyewitness in the Donetsk region who saw the Ukrainian warplanes near the passenger jet. They say they heard sounds of powerful blasts and saw Ukrainian warplanes shortly before the crash. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so you've, you've, got, you've got a lot of... You look at, okay, what does Putin and Moscow win by this happening? Not a lot. A lot of international pressure, a lot of money on the line in the EU. They've got the South Stream pipeline that they're worried about. There's a lot for Russia to lose, to lose. that on right. by supporting this. Right. And the U.S. has nothing but... I know it sounds horrible, but we gain, gain, gain. We gain economically. We gain power-wise. We put Russia in its place. We reduce their, their uh, uh, appearance as a world leader. We take Putin down a notch. I mean, we just win all across the board. So here, here's the I, – I, I, to use the word prop, that the problem that I have with this is – I don't want to use that statement because it's not a personal problem that I have. I'm speaking in a more general thing. If this is true – or is this potential scenario? And here's what I'm thinking, right? Plausible. Just to clarify, right? Right? Fighter jets fly in close yeah, to this passenger they get off jet. The, they're off the radar. The uh, not very well trained separatists on the ground do a target lock. They think they're. And by the way, not only before they shot down this jet, this passenger jet, they'd shot down other military jets. But since then, they've shot down two other fighter yeah, jets. Yeah, we've heard about that. Yeah. So this is something they have been doing. This this crash was just in the middle. Like maybe they're like these guys are targeting our jets. Well, we know how we'll fix that. Fly in tight. This will this will bring the world uh, the world against opinion them. against them. Right. You know they target this. Yes, it's a tragedy, but it's just a few eggs to crack to make this omelet. So the 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 issue that we come around with with reporting these kind of things, and obviously we we already warned everybody the whole conspiracy. This is uber conspiracy bacon. Second part of the episode is you get people that will and no doubt. They're going to come after you for 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 putting this together. You're going to get emails. You're going to get people that are going to say, "How man, this is just crazy conspiracy speak." But what? When can we get the smoking gun, if you will? Like, what would it take? What do you What do you think would take to get people to say it's not a conspiracy? That this is a plausible theory that people should look at the information from all angles and come well, to a logical conclusion. I have an easier answer. I have a reverse answer. Uh, a backdoor answer? I have, yeah. The, my reverse answer is what would be actually easier is for the U.S. to just prove its point. 
if they have imagery of the oh, launch, yeah. oh yeah, yeah. If, if they have satellite imagery, why can't they release it like Russia's intelligence agency has? Because they've released their imagery. So why what we have released is a Google Map screenshot with an air with a line on it. Right. Uh, and uh, your buddy, former NSA director Michael Hayden, points out that we wouldn't just have like some evidence; we'd have a lot of evidence. And by the way. By the way, we didn't even know they had these missile launchers, supposedly, until they fired them. How does the all-seeing eye of the United States intelligence apparatus miss this until they've already fired the missile? So listen to what he says and tell me that after you listen to this, if it's true we have this data, we have a ton of evidence. With regard to last week's events, I'm a little surprised, too, that we've admitted we didn't know that the Buk system was there until the launch. The most logical explanation of that is simply they hadn't turned the radar on until that point because they knew we were focusing on that area. But look, when they go to try to take the shot at the Malaysian airliner, they've got to track the airliner. They've got to track their missile, and they've got to send command signals to their missile. Those are three signals that we would pick up and be able to geolocate to a fairly precise position. We also would have seen the aircraft explode because of the heat signature. And this stuff is good enough, Aaron, that we would have seen the plume from the missile because it was creating heat also. So that is three very solid data points that seems to me would be pretty easy to release and nullify a lot of these arguments. Because I, I think, you know, what we're focusing on is, in the, in the mainstream media, what we're focusing on is, was it an SA-11? Did they launch a rocket from the ground? I say, accept that. Yes, I say, accept that the separatists la- launched a, a missile into the plane. I think, give, give them that. That seems very likely. I think the question is, though, were they tricked into doing it? And the, the problem is, is we're not getting a rational conversation about this. No. And this clip that I want to play, it's a little long, but it's so perfectly perfectly personifies the West versus Russia's narrative about I, uh, these things. Before you yeah. do, I, I, I just wanted to say it's it's when you have a lot of lives that have been taken off this planet and and killed. Whether it is the first thing that we heard or or this new this theory that I I'm actually honestly hearing for the first time. It's sad either way. It's sad either way. And when that happens. You do get clouded judgment. You do get you get um, emotional. You get emotional. Well, there's arguments. kids and women that were you know that oh, tugs at the families, heartstrings. People on vacation, organizations, AIDS researchers. Yeah, so you get a lot of things. And, and, and who doesn't like the Dutch? Everybody likes the Dutch. They, they got they, flowers, and then they were they were in the World Cup. So that emotion has obviously crept into this reporter. Here he is on CNN. This is yeah. Peter Lavelle, and I think this shows you what's wrong with Western media. However, hanging over all of this are the questions of why this happened, who did it, and what will happen next. There are a lot of different theories, a lot of countries pointing fingers, most notably Russia and the U.S. and the West. I want to bring in somebody now who has a different perspective than what you may have been hearing so far. His name is Peter Lavelle. He works with Russia today. It's part of the Russian government-owned news operation there. And Peter, can you hear me? That's uh, see, that's the opposite of our media. Uh, see, our government is actually business owned. So our government's run by the business. And in Russia, the government runs the business. You see, so it's a little bit different. So we don't like that. Yes, I can. Go ahead. All right. Thank you for taking the time to join us. I want to ask you, why hasn't Russia, specifically uh, Vladimir Putin, why hasn't he come out and strictly and in a straight way condemned how the crime scene was handled. 
So why hasn't Vlad come out and condemned specifically how the yeah, – it's an interesting question. It's kind of like, well, who cares? I mean, it's really kind of inconsequential compared to everything else. But okay, why hasn't he said something? How the dignity of the dead uh, was abused, how crime scene investigators weren't let in. Why hasn't Russia, why hasn't Vladimir Putin come forward and condemned how this crime scene has been handled? Well, I, I think the answer to that is a very, very straightforward and simple. Ukraine is not in Russia. Vladimir Putin doesn't control a, a crime scene in a foreign country. Uh, I think it's quite ludicrous for you to ask that question. But it's how everything's being phrased. Why isn't Putin doing more? He's come out and demanded a complete investigation. As a matter of fact, on Monday of this week, Russia gave its assessment of the uh, reconnaissance and surveillance of satellites and what was happening in the crime scene. Uh, We don't have that coming out of Washington. So I think that's what you should be asking is that uh, why is the State Department relying upon Twitter and YouTube and other social media for its case when Russia's already given its or at least part of the forensic evidence that is necessary to solve this horrific crime. One of the things I didn't include were a lot of clips of what we're citing, by the way, literally are tweets. And I, I think he touches on it there, but I think we've lost that the uh, the videos of the plane explosion are YouTube videos. Um, the, we are following, we are citing some tweets, but we are not citing other tweets. And we are using these in the official briefings as our evidence. And we're saying it is a preponderance of evidence because this is the public evidence we can show you. And then we have the super secret evidence that we imply and infer a lot about that we can't show you. So what's being publicly shown to everybody are Twitter images, which really is is not very credible. Part of the problem with this is you have so-called people that are journalists when they're not. And so what they do is they pull these stories, they use TweetDeck, they use search engines, and they just pull whatever they can and they call it news. The State Department's citing them too. I mean, the frickin' State Department. It's it's like it's laziness, and it's also like, is that not the easiest thing to influence in the world? Like, if you you could just have somebody tweeting anything, a picture of anything. Because if God forbid anybody did some actual real journalism, you know what would happen? They would lose their careers. Yeah. Seriously, well, I mean that's we've seen it happen time and time again when a journalist will come out yeah. and speak the truth, and it's happened many times on this show. And we look at each other and we go, "Oh my God, did that just actually happen? Did Wolf just say that, or did Shep, or did the judge, yeah. did Russia today?" We've said it for all the networks when yeah. they speak the truth, and then what happens? They don't say it again. Like, they don't say it again. Yeah, when's the last time you know that whole show that the judge used to sit on gone? Just gone. And gee, isn't isn't that interesting? Because yeah. you know why? Because the businesses that fund those networks, meaning advertisers and also the bigwigs that run those networks, remember, show me the money. <laughs> That's what happens. So now listen to this guy. Oh. So this guy, the CNN anchor, goes on to play the good boy role. Maybe you haven't been following it, but the U.S. is actually coming out with a lot of its own intelligence uh, that connects what happened to MH17 to the acts of Russian militants and perhaps to the involvement of Russia in either training, equipping, or maybe even assisting in this uh, horrible operation of bringing down this plane. What forensic evidence are you talking about? What, What forensic evidence are you referring to? Twitter? They are releasing intelligence information about the trajectory. No, not Twitter. I do not think, Peter, this is something to be flip about. 298 people lost their lives. Let's not well, play politics. I think politics the U.S. State here, Department okay? has been There's very plenty flippant of intelligence about coming this. out. Very flippant about it. Where's the evidence? Listen, That's what we need that- to solve this crime. 
It's not coming Peter. out of Washington. Even uh, intelligence uh, officials are saying they don't know who did this. They don't know where it came from. The United States spends $100 billion a year on global intelligence, and they can't find out. This is extraordinary. There are NATO ships in the Black Sea watching Peter. Ukraine like a hawk. Where is their data? Please show us the data. Then we can move Peter. forward, and maybe Peter. this can help Peter. resolve the crisis in Ukraine. All right, Peter. Take a breath, okay, because this isn't a debate. It's easy to bandy about points and confuse facts. There's no need for that because I'm not here to debate with you who did this, okay? I really you wish you would stick with You want facts. to play those talking this points. I asked you a simple question. Peter? He, I love that he accuses the RT guy of using talking points. Right. Stop yet, using your talking points. But he just used them. <laughs> I'm, everything I'm saying to you, with talking points. there's U.S. intelligence. Peter, why are you afraid to hear what I'm saying? I'm not here to fight with you, okay? I'm not afraid. I just left the crime like scene. The last you, thing I, I want to like see is more violence of any kind, verbal or otherwise. All of its data okay? from satellites and compare they it to the Russian They are doing exactly case. that. See where they match. Uh, they have not done that yet. Yeah, we haven't seen any of that. Match where they don't match. They, no, they're Peter, not. I don't know what... You're living in a parallel universe. <laughs> Peter. Peter, calm down. Take a breath. We've already had something bad happen. There's no reason to you know what? Uh, I, don't I hate how this guy is being condescending. Which guy? The RT guy or the CNN guy? The CNN guy. Yeah. Hey, Peter, hey, calm down. Hey, Take calm a down. breath. Hey. Yeah. You know what I hate the most? What? Is when someone tells me, shh. Yeah. Yeah. Shh. Chase, well, Chase, calm down. And it's actually like... Chris, Chris, calm down. It's a it's a technique that somebody who's panicking, if you're quick enough on your feet, will employ to make it look like you're in control so you can think of something to do while you're trying to make the other person look like they're losing it. It's something you do when you're on air a lot. Chris, Chris, calm down. I know, right? I know. Calm down. And hit, press, press play there, and let's continue the clip. Okay. The U.S. government. Question. You are Ask speaking the intelligent question. Here, well, <laughs> I, I think I've asked you several. Your answers, I don't know about the intelligence of, but the questions oh! are pretty spot on. Let me wow. ask you again, because I'm not a representative of the U.S. You seem to be acting like a representative of Russia. And what I ask you is, why hasn't Russia Great. come forward and condemned the indignity and disgrace so of this crime scene? In what, five France minutes. has done That's it. What you did. France has done it. The U.K. has done it. The U.S. has done it. None of them have sovereign control over Ukraine. Countless countries have come forward. The UN has come forward and condemned what was done at this crime scene, but not Russia and specifically, Ru- Vladimir not Putin Vladimir has Putin come Putin out specifically. For a, a thorough investigation. Yes, he, you're wrong. You're just simply factually wrong. He did not wrong. condemn what's he has been come done. Out and said there should Why be an investigation. Why has he condemned what was done? By asking there be an investigation is the condemning suggestion it. is, I wish you could be a serious No, serious by saying that leaving this. bodies in the sun <laughs> By, by saying leaving bodies in the sun for days, oh, by saying scaring away Putin's monitors who fault. want to come you, in to that's, look, that's that ludicrous. Isn't that great? What a, what a, and you can see the biases at play on both sides there, right? Like, yeah. obviously, both are coming from just like these extreme sides, and the truth is somewhere in the middle. Uh, and I just find the whole thing to be very fascinating and a lot of questions. In fact, what I'm having a hard time understanding is the whole Air India aspect. If any of our audience out there can stream... Give me any Southern Stream info on this. Hey, oh, uh, because here's what. 
An Air India Dreamliner flight going from Delhi to Birmingham was, was a Dreamliner. Yeah. Wow. Was less than twenty-five kilometers away from the Malaysian aircraft, right. which would say, which is like a distance that would take about ninety seconds for them to travel. That's how close they were. Ninety seconds away from the Malaysian. And airline. usually, these planes, by the way, they know that each other's there because yeah. they have. Air, they, they did. Have, yeah. So because of their closeness, the local Ukrainian air traffic controller asked the Air, air Indian Dreamliner pilots to see if they could establish contact with the Malaysian aircraft because. It had stopped responding to traffic control's calls. Minutes before the crash caused by a missile strike, the Air India pilots had also heard the controller get ready for this. This is from the Air India Times, and it's from I, I, this is, that's this is the Air India. The Air India pilots also heard the controller give the Malaysian aircraft MH17 what is called direct routing. There's a graphic. It's horrible looking. It's a graph. There's a graphic in there. Oh called, yeah, uh, I had it. Hold yeah, on. you can pull that up there in yeah. a second. It's in the show notes too. It's, so they gave them a direction called direct routing. This permits an aircraft to fly straight uh, instead of instead of like doing a track zigzag type style where they go from one tracking station to another. They can go in a straight path. Uh, this allows them to save gas, saves time. Pilots actually kind of prefer this when they get this because they get there sooner and save fuel. In this case, allowing them to take that direct route proved fatal because then they went right over where they got shot down. The Dreamliner being less than 90 seconds away from the Malaysian aircraft that was later hit by a, by a missile. When the pilots learned about this, they were quoted in the Indian Times as saying, it's like the person standing next to you has been hit by a sniper bullet. Whew. And in that, in that article, we have this image in the show notes that Chase is showing right now. They talk about how the Malaysian Airlines flight was given uh, the direction to go for direct routing. Direct routing permits an aircraft to fly straight over a given point. Uh, and, of course, the pilots went over there, and they were it was doomed air. Wow. Wow. If they hadn't gotten that direct route instruction, they would have never been in that area. So are they... Uh, and you got to figure there's fighter jets fl- flying in that yeah. area because it's a conflict yeah. zone. Yeah, now here's the thing. If they they were given direct routing, does the pilot, does do they have to accept it? I, you know, it might be one of those things where they might even request it because they prefer it. Right. Because it's instead of flying zigzag, it's straight. You know, earlier we heard uh, a clip talking about how, uh, you know, these routes are direct. Uh, I think it was a news clip said mm. that the routes are direct. Uh, and if they're not allowed to go direct, it, it goes, uh, the price goes up. Yeah. They have to even pay to fly over certain countries' air and or all countries' right, air. Right, yeah, exactly. I, the, it, what it felt like to me is the clip was implying based on flight time the price goes up, and that's not usually true. Usually nonstop flights are more expensive. Don't know. Hmm. It's a lot to think about. We, what can we know at this yeah. point? But with something to, when you're looking at how this plays out, something to consider in the back of your mind. And you just, what I think at the end of the day you have to ask yourself is who benefits from this tragedy? The U.S. benefits handsomely. Yeah, and, and what what sucks out of this whole ordeal, the whole thing, is not only 290-plus people have lost their lives, but all the f- countless connected families, employers, Well, and what this people. is going to lead to? I mean, just think about this. And as retired General James Jones, who often consulted Obama on military matters, points out, is this also reverses something that Putin himself has pr- been trying to do. Putin, on his, in his own right, has been trying to draw a wedge between the U.S. and the EU because it's also in Russia's benefit to do more economic uh, trade with the EU. Right, the, and to try to push U.S. out. So now we need to take this moment and 
really double down on pushing Moscow and the EU apart and expanding NATO. I think we should also bear in mind that I think Mr. Putin is engaged in a long-term strategic plan to do as much, get as much separation between us and our European uh, allies as he possibly can. Mm. And energy comes into play uh, dramatically here. So I think our, rep- our response shouldn't be completely tactical. It ought to be very strategic as well. And I think we have a lot to say with regard to the flow of energy around the world. And I think we have a lot to say with the flow of energy to Europe if we if we take it as a strategic issue. There's got to be a united front against Putin with the with the United States and Europeans. Is what well, you're I think this is a moment where yeah. um, uh, our longtime European allies. And again, if you want to Google who's talking right now, it's retired General James Jones. Uh, and the newer ones uh, on the east are somewhat divided in terms of how you respond to Russia. Mm-hmm. And um, this is one time when. Uh, uh, a unanimity of opinion is yes. would be a good thing. And, and, and I might also add yeah. that this is a, uh, a pretty critical time for some revitalization of NATO also. General Jones, good to see you. Thank you so much. My pleasure. There you go. So it's in our interest for, this, for things to slide the direction they are. Is it just some drunk separatist who shot down an airliner? Maybe. Maybe. Were they pushed into it? Maybe. And that's the thing, right? We'll, we'll never know. And... See, and that's the – here's the thing. We at I, least get the satisfaction of that knowing smile. When people are talking about it, in the back of our minds, we know we go, you know, this all could just be a big oil pipeline play. And the reason why that's not so crazy is you look at past conflicts in our recent history, and it really comes down to the oil, yeah. like almost every time. It, you know, we – it's one of those things, you guys, you know, obviously over the past week we've we've learned about this strategy. You you guys have learned in the news mostly because I know a lot of people tend to get their information from either the CBS Morning News or Fox or CNN or whatever. And you have this one pulse and narrative going. And then now we've just given you guys another consideration. It's one of those situations where there's lots of information out there, lots of different theories, lots of legitimate reporting sources. And it's so much to cover. And it's so much. I would really recommend, just go check the show notes if you yeah. have more questions. You know, look at it. We're not saying this is what happened. We're no. saying this could be a... Vi- if you look at the way the world works and the fact that, you know, let's be honest, oil does kind of make the world go round. We have a lot at stake making the U.S. dollar the continued reserve currency of the world. There's a lot of, there's a lot of things we're willing to do to make sure that happens. Pretty much every time somebody talks about moving away from the dollar, Gaddafi, Iraq, when they start talking about switching to gold, Dinars, or they start going to the euro for selling the oil. The BRIC group, don't forget that. Right, we right, invade. Yeah, now the BRIC yeah. group gets established, all of a sudden look what happens. We start getting super serious, don't we? They, I mean, not yeah. just established, but they have that new development bank that just they just signed the deal for. Yeah. Very coincidental timing on that. It's, it's just one of those things, you guys, that sometimes we have to be forced to look at the big picture, but sometimes it could be just a simple mistake where a, a soldier that was on the missile cannon saw information, they hit the button, and look what happens. All right, Chase, should we end it on a high note? You know what? I like ending things on a high note. So uh, we got to start with a little update on how the new recreational cannabis sales are going here in Wa- Oh, what? They're not going. No. No, no sales. No. Oh. What's the difference between medical and recreational marijuana? Absolutely nothing, unless you're the state of Washington. Pot producers planning to sell recreationally are being forced to shut down their businesses and start all over to keep in line with state law. As King 5's Eric Wilkinson reports, it's making the state's already short supply even worse. They are little babies, little girls. Stroll through Seattle's New Leaf Enterprises and a pot shortage is the last thing you'd be worried about. 
Everywhere you look, people are packaging, pruning, even cuisinarting marijuana. 13,000 square feet, 1,200 plants, producing 200 pounds of pot per month with room to grow. Another 12,000 square feet prepped to more than double production. I see a dream. I see something that I didn't think I'd ever see in my lifetime. Well, I'm here. Bad luck. Meantime, pot shops like this one all across the state sit empty. But why? It turns out the state will not allow growers to sell pot designated as medicinal to recreational retailers, even though it's the exact same thing. Seems ridiculous to me. (laughs) Unlike Colorado, Washington is keeping medical and recreational marijuana separate. That means anyone who's already growing medical marijuana and wants to support to the pot for pleasure market will have to sell off all their medical pot shut their entire operations down and start from scratch we're looking probably at about oh. 1.5 million in lost revenue as a result new retail stores already jonesing for product may have to wait even longer that's because medical marijuana is unregulated in washington and the state wants to make sure no leaf is left unturned when regulating the recreational side so as not to invoke the wrath of the feds and this gets turned into concentrates oils for Colwell. He'll likely have to lay off his 35 workers during his two-month shutdown while things shake out. Genius. Eric Wilkinson, King 5 News. Is this is this a government play to push regulation on the medical marijuana industry? Well, it is about, uh, they actually say at the end of the clip, they're going to look at ways of merging the two. And I got to say, that would be really bad. Because the medical is really doing quite healthy in the in in Washington, right. and yeah. it doesn't have any of these problems right. that the recreational side has. Now, to be fair, in Colorado, their medical side of it has always been regulated, right? Yeah, and and much more so. Ours. That's maybe one of the reasons why the Washington side is actually there are regulations. Say it's unregulated is. Not exactly true, but it is. Well, not, they don't follow the plan right. from cradle to grave, for example, right. Right. Uh, or cradle and, to. Hit. But like <laughs> I've said, like if, in terms of like just supplying the markets so that way, you don't stoke the black market. Yeah. You really could be rope because these medical growers have been growing it for years. They get tested. All of their product gets tested by the medical facilities before it gets sold to the patients, uh, and they have. They have years of experience now, which is which is not like a trivial thing for this type of operation. To get the right kind of product, the way the state wants it, you need experience. I, I have a Red Book prediction on this then. All right, lay it on me, Mr. Judge. My Red Book prediction is the government or the Liquor Control Board in Washington City is going to push to combine the regulation yeah. into it. And yep. we're going to see probably within a year or maybe two years, they're going to say, well, it's obviously it's not working. Let's just bring it in to one big umbrella. You know what? And I wouldn't be surprised at all. And this next clip kind of uh, kind of is stoking the fires. We've covered this, uh, the fear around hash oil now. Yeah. Well, it started just as kind of like a funny, oh, look at these dummies. They blew out their apartment. Now the feds are involved. Seattle's first legal pot shop will stay closed until at least Friday. Cannabis City ran out of marijuana just a few days after opening earlier this month. And there's been a crackdown on the illegal and risky practice of extracting hash oil from marijuana. The feds have now charged seven people who they say caused explosions and fires that put the public in danger. Watch out, because we're talking the full weight of federal law coming down on you. Local police call it the new meth. Today, they announced they're teaming up with federal officials to take on illegal hash oil production in Washington state. Today's charges show that we will take that threat seriously. 
We will charge people and we will hold them accountable. Hugh Rodney Harris, Robbie Wayne Miser are two of seven suspects now facing federal charges for hash oil explosions in King and Pierce counties, including one in Bellevue back on November 5th of last year. The U.S. Attorney's Office says former Bellevue Mayor Nan Campbell, a victim of that fire, broke her pelvis trying to escape the flames and later died following complications at the hospital. This is a real danger. Oh, It's not just the people themselves who endanger themselves and their families, but think of the pelvics. They cause explosions and fires that are incredibly destructive. You know, like your pressure cooker does. And that jeopardize whole neighborhoods and communities. You know, like your propane tank does. On May 20th in Puyallup, investigators say a hash oil explosion put several people in danger, including a 14-month-old infant. Today, federal authorities insist they will support local police in cracking down on hash oil production in any way possible. The more flagrant the behavior, the more likely it's going to get a look at by our detectives and undercovers. And local police led the SPD ask people to be more alert. And if you see something suspicious, uh, report it. Uh, it's definitely much harder to identify than a meth lab, but still, uh, people can be pretty surprising the things that they notice. Just because I-502 makes marijuana legal to possess by adults, you don't get to manufacture hash oil in your house. It's a terrible idea. And as we've learned, plenty dangerous. All seven suspects appeared in federal court this afternoon. If convicted, many of them could face up to 20 years in prison. Now, 20 years. Now, 20 years for making hash oil. But we've talked about this before. Hash oil creation has been happening long before yeah. the legalization. Well, yeah. This is nothing new. Oh, no. But, no, now, no. but now it's come to the limelight. So much so we got to bring the feds in over it and get detectives and undercover agents involved. You know why I think maybe they're bringing in the feds in on this? To sabotage everything and ruin it? That and to try to get them to like... Well, well, don't come on. Go, yeah. Don't get on. They us are on. so paranoid about yeah. it. They are so paranoid. Like, oh, what would happen? You get in a lawsuit, then fight the freaking lawsuit. Then yeah, you. There's a normal course of Do action. We have no for backbone as a state. It's ridiculous, and the fear mongering, the fear mongering, and that's not enough fear mongering. Oh, oh, I, I posted this to the subreddit. Did the, you the pull puppy it? one? Did, did you pull this yeah. from the subreddit? Yeah. It was scary. We almost lost her. A warning for pet owners. Girl, a local wait, woman sounds on, the alarm. On, wait, after- wait, now do you do you hear the you guys? You hear the music in the yeah, beginning? yeah. It's nice, it's dramatic. The, the reason why it's dramatic is because this is coming right off the top of the hour. Yeah. Okay. They so the, they open. They opened with this story. This is this is top story. Top story. Top story. Top story. That's why you hear this this background. Top story chase, and uh, of course, you know we've done the kid angle. Nothing tugs at the heartstrings like your puppy. It was scary. We almost lost her. A warning for pet owners. Girl. A local woman sounds the alarm after a day at the park nearly turned deadly for a dog. It was a miracle she survived. Wait, wait, Chris. Chris, what could it be? What? Oh, my God. A dog? Uh, what? Uh, uh, it swallowed a needle. It, 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 it is a warning tonight for pet owners because veterinarians yeah, are yeah. seeing an increase yeah. in dogs accidentally ingesting marijuana. Huh? One woman has her own story to tell about a very close call. Come before us, Russ Bowen joins us with more. Russ? Now, uh, you know, dogs eating like brownies with pot in them, that's bad just because the dogs shouldn't be having chocolate just yeah, right there. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. a thing. Uh, so this must be huge. I mean, this must be this for this to be the top story of our Channel Four ABC affiliate in the Seattle metro area, a major metro TV station, top fifteen market. This must be a locked in 
case closed story. Mary, it can be an innocent bite that can be a lethal dose of reality, one that no dog owner wants to face. Good sit. Misty is a six-month-old lamb Aww. whose favorite treat just so happens to be a bite of apple, apple. here and there. So it was no surprise to see her grab a free one just sitting along the beach at the Edmonds Dog Park. Stop! Okay. Walking down the beach. Hold on. Hold on. Uh -uh. Stop. Stop. Uh -uh. I know this face. This is Chase's personal responsibility face. No. It's not just that. (laughs) You you guys, uh, a lot of you may know this. Chris knows this. I have a dog. You know what really grinds my gears? I have a dog that is uh, 12 years old. She's going on 13. Uh, she's, you know, she's got a tumor. She's not, she's okay. She's doing good. She's still a good puppy at heart. Mm-hmm. I take her to dog parks. You know, I always have her on leash. If she uh, poos for daddy, I pick it up. You oh, know, I'm, I'm a good guy. That's great. Okay. I take my dog to the beach every once in a while. I never let my dog no, eat anything that's the I worst see stuff. under that is the worst thing you could ever do because there yeah. are people out there. There are evil people out right. there. Not just talking about an apple here. That they will leave chocolate. They'll leave. Well, they'll put. Stuff. There's also sea animals that could sting the inside of the dog's mouth yeah. to make it swell, so they can't breathe. Like you, you're really not supposed to do it. Like from a dog medical standpoint. So when I hear this story, and I saw this story, and that's why I submitted it to the subreddit. I could not wait to talk about this on the show because wait, they haven't heard the payoff yet. Let them hear the payoff. Ah, go. Ah! Look over, and she's got an apple in her mouth and she's happily chewing away on it and as active as she may be on this day that day things spiraled downwards mm-hmm. now all we know at this point is the dog ate an apple off the beach we know nothing else she yeah. couldn't hardly stand at all and she was almost acting as if she was dizzy kaya anderson quickly got misty to the vet we almost lost her she went into a coma so what was it that caused the little lab to get so sick? She tested positive for marijuana. At that point in time, I was just like, oh my gosh, you know, I don't, I don't know how she got in contact with it. That apple was likely a fairly common makeshift bong. No proof. They, were, they begin the, 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 the top of the news, no proof. Hey, you know that apple that that dog ate on the beach that was sitting there floating in the water yeah, for three days? Yeah, yeah. That was probably a bong. That's probably why she got sick. You know, and it's funny. The funny thing about this is... Wait, they actually, they, they uh, pumped her stomach and they, they checked it? Right. How did they know? Right? And the other thing, too, is like, we haven't really done many cannabis tests on humans, but we have done cannabis tests on dogs. And there is examples of them giving dogs like 30x the amount of like, say, like what you would normally take, like, quote unquote, safe. And the dog falls asleep. It isn't a coma. The dog falls asleep. It's a deep sleep, but the dog wakes up. I mean, it's not like they're close to death. I'm not trying to downplay this. Maybe the dog has something else going on. I also noticed the dog has... Oh, by the uh, way, did they talk about, uh, does the owner, has the owner have marijuana at home? Did they, do we find no, out? No, she says she doesn't. She says she. I don't oh. know if they say in the story, but she, also by the way, the dog. They don't talk about this. The dog had past medical problems and was on medication. The dog like has spots shaved on it because they've been doing. Te- the dog has previous medical problems. One of the vet techs informed me that people actually do use apples to smoke weed. But I think we are. I had no idea. I had. I. I, I was just making hash oil. I just let my so dog eat off. anything on the beach. You know, if I see dog food or uh, fruits and vegetables, I don't care. I just let my dog eat anything. That weird rotten crab over there. 
there. In contact with it. That apple was likely a fairly common makeshift bong. One of the vet techs informed me that people actually do use apples to smoke weed. But I think we are seeing an increase. I just, I can't imagine. This story pisses me off to no end. Because, like, there could be, okay, so you're smoking out of an apple, which is, I guess, kind of a cool thing to do because yeah. the apple's moist or whatever, and it probably makes it sweet. But think about this. Like, that's just going to be whatever's left behind. It's just going to be, like, residue. There's not going to be enough. Yeah, it will not it's be not enough. like it's a huge amount. It's going to be residue. Who, who, here's the thing. Yeah, they tested the dog, and they found marijuana. Who's to say that there wasn't anything else? We didn't hear any right. other results. Well, and, and she said it happened a half hour earlier. That's uh, kind of close to eating the apple. Overall, the clinic that treated Misty has seen a recent rise in the numbers of dogs ingesting weed, whether the bud, the edibles, or apple bongs. You know, in a split seconds, they can eat things that go down the hatch and their owners don't even know. So that makes it possible then. Misty was lucky that Kaya knew to get help fast, despite the fact she didn't know it was a drug reaction. She knew. Bull crap. She no. knew because she's been taking her dog That's in. Way, exactly, because. Yeah, her dog has previous medical issues. It can be dangerous to the point where these guys will become comatose. They can lose their ability to swallow. Say so They can aspirate and develop pneumonia. Kaya just hopes people will think twice about what they leave behind. Uh, I just hope that these people know that they're forgiven, but that... We don't want this to happen again. And ingestion can usually be treated with a positive outcome, but often not without expert treatment and care. Live in the Satellite Center, Russ Bowen, Como for News. I, I love reading some of the comments, and I just want to read the top comment on Como News. Uh, okay. Uh, this got the top votes out of anything. So a couple of things here. First, I think it was slightly irresponsible for the owner just to let her dog eat an apple she randomly found at a dog park. <laughs> That's not safe or healthy for a myriad of reasons, and this is the prime example. I don't think there's an attempt to vilify weed smokers as a whole, but please don't leave your crap behind. What if a kid picked it up? I mean, who yeah. leaves this yeah. kind of stuff on the ground? I just... Yeah. I mean, or first of all, people throw trash out all the time, but what I was An trying... An apple, like you can see somebody go, oh, who cares? It's nature, man. Just throw it out there. But, but here's the underlying issue here, you guys. Como, Como doesn't get this... They they don't go in and say... They don't go in through the, uh, the veterinary reports. They don't go... And try to figure out, you know, you know what to cover. What happens is a lot of pe- a lot of stories come in via tips. She called Como. She called Como to say, "Hey, my dog ate a marijuana thing." Oh, and, really? I mean, this is this is this is speculation. But news agencies don't go and come up with a story off the top. And if you notice, yeah, notice why that, would they? Why, where where right. would this come from? What would originate this? Right. How exactly. do you just land on this one instances of one gal who takes one dog into one random vet? Because clinic. it gets reported into the assignment desk. And remember, it all comes back to show me the money. And they're like the pot story, pot story, pot story, exclusive. Right. We, we we're gonna lead with this. Yeah. You, you know, know what this underscores is how little has actually gone wrong in the legal cannabis thing if this is what they're doing. Right. Because if you see how quickly they'll jump on a story like this, how desperate they are, they how, are. how hungry they are yep. for a pot see? story, and this is what they get. You, you didn't see this angle. No, it's like yeah. totally what it is. It's got to yeah. be it. Because, yeah, yeah you've got to think about but, you got to think about from a production standpoint how that gets on the line. But it's not just Como here. It's Q13 Fox is it, another. And it's, and, also, and it's also the and do- King. And it's also the dog owner. And we played King, too. They're all doing it. If, if, if this was, if, if the doctor, the veterinary doctor, didn't come back to her and said this was pot in, uh, that we found in the dog system, let's say she, the dog had a, just a reaction to this apple. Maybe there was pesticide. Maybe it was her antidepressants. I'm sure she's And then she reported this to Como. 
I mean, is she? The thing is, what is her motive? We don't know what her motive is. Is it anti-marijuana? Attention. Is it is it is it to warn the public about potential marijuana apples for dogs to not eat off the beach? I, that doesn't make sense. No, it's a yeah. It's you know, it, it definitely. I don't know her motivation is, but I can totally see what Como's Como, motivation. Yeah, Como's yeah. motivation is money, and it's about ratings, you guys. But it's also remember, Como is not locally owned anymore. Como is owned by Sinclair Media Group, and there's we've you can do research about Sinclair Media Group. There's agendas that have been pushed by that media group. Yeah, they buy they've bought up a lot of local media outlets too. Yep, a lot of local media outlets, and they push a lot of ABC canned stories. We've played them on the yep. show. Yep. So just take that for a grain of salt. Uh, before we get to the feedback, and that's what really grinds my gears. Oh yeah, that yeah. Before we and that people is what grinds my gears. Tom? Before we get to our feedback, there was a story that got a, a little bit of a crowd applause at OSCON while I was in Oregon. Oh, this story broke while I was down there, and somebody shouted it out, and people clapped. New at nine, Oregon could follow uh. Washington's lead in legalizing recreational marijuana. Today, the Oregon Secretary of State certified a petition campaign that had enough valid signatures to qualify for the November ballot. Under the proposal, sales of marijuana would be taxed, and the money would go towards schools, police, drug treatment, and mental health programs. And that chase is all 36 pages of show notes right there. (laughs) So that brings us to the email. That's right. I want to remind everybody, please go check the show notes for everything we talked about. More info. This came in from Kyle. Kyle wrote in about noble economist uh, <laughs> Joseph Stiglitz hails new Bricks Bank. Hey, oh, Chris right. and yeah, Chase. About, yeah, right. This, so this guy, this was he's yeah. sending in some comments from the Nobel, Nobel uh, economist Joseph Stiglitz, yeah, who was commenting on the whole Bricks Bank uh, development thing. Yeah, and he basically said, hey, Chris and Chase, I posted this in the subreddit, but I thought I'd send it over here too because it's such big news. Joseph Stiglitz, very much. And that illustrates, as you say, a couple of interesting points. China has reserves in excess of three trillion dollars so one of the things is that it needs to use those reserves better and then just putting them into the u.s treasury bills what they're doing is they're putting into this brick right they're not going to dump all that in the u.s treasury bills because those are an unknown good right now yeah yeah so uh it says here china is seeking to need to seek higher gains on its reserves outside the u.s t-bill market could provoke a similar sea change because sooner or later the japanese are going to start to see the same writing on the wall and feel more and more nervous about t-bills oh that's an interesting thought. Yeah. Also got another email from John Doe. Remember DRIP? That was that emergency uh, bill that was going through the UK to make the internet ISPs monitor and the telcos monitor everything you're doing from text every to web traffic, every phone call. Thing. And I was like, I, 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 when we were reporting on that, I knew that something had changed that all of a sudden put momentum behind this. I didn't understand what it was. John Doe writes in with that info. All the way from across the pond. Since the EU ruled... The data retention was a breach of human rights. OpenRightsGroup.org has been asking ISPs what data they keep. They had an extremely good campaign a few weeks ago where several ISPs responded, basically, quote, government has requested us to keep the data anyway, unquote. After this campaign, uh, the organization announced that they would start preparing to take ISPs to court. Then the government rushed through emergency legislation to legalize the ongoing collection of data because of, quote, terrorists. So so basically, they pushed this stuff through to cover their butts. Yeah, because uh, they, had to, they had a limited amount of time to move. Thanks for the uh, clarification and info on that. If you'd like to send us an email, go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com, click that contact link, and then choose the Unfilter Show from the drop-down. We've also got links to our Keybase profiles 
as well as my GPG key and a bit message address if you have something you're a little uncomfortable about telling us about. Yep. And you just want to have a little more privacy. We've got secure ways you can contact us. Otherwise, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact. Of course, there's always that subreddit. That's true. The subreddit is a great, huge community that is growing every single day. That's over at unfilter.reddit.com. This is where you can submit your stories, upvote stories, and you know, really be a part of the conversation in a free and open way. And let us know what you want to see in the show. It's a great way for us to get the temp of what you like. We didn't talk about this, but did you know that John Stewart is launching a ten billion dollar like Kickstarter? A, it's not it's like I a joke, know. though, right? It's like it's a not starter or something like that's what it's yeah, called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know why? Because uh, Rupert Murdoch is actually trying to buy Time Warner and CNN. Yeah, exactly. That would be a bad thing. Now, Chris. We're only 10 readers away, by the way, from uh, 1,400. Oh, unfilter.reddit.com. Yes. Now, Chris, during the course of the week, uh, you were pushing out pictures Boom. from OzCon down in Portland, Oregon. I also tweeted about the schedule change for this show, yep. twitter.com slash chrislas. Boom. We'll be back on Wednesday next week, but for this week, since I was at OzCon on Wednesday, we did on a Friday. That's right. And that, that's right. This is not a recording. We're here. Well, unless you're listening to the recording. Which most of them are. Yeah, all right. Then right. we're not here. Are you on Twitter? Yeah. You Maybe know, you can clear it up. Where would people go? Twitter.com slash Nunes, N-U-N-E-S. And by the way, all you guys who tweeted me last week wanted those uh, those key base invites. They're gone. Nice. Uh, but uh, a lot of you guys picked them up. I so saw thanks. another thread going in the uh, subreddit about it. That's so, awesome. That's yeah. great. Yeah, very good. Are you uh, doing anything like on the internet in the media context? I or do. Dem- I do gaming oh. and geeky stuff. Oh. I just I just recently concluded my T-Mobile seven-day challenge. Oh, so I'm you talking about videos that. of that up there. Yes, geekgamer.tv nice. is the address. The go. Now you can uh, hang out with us live, help title our show, engage in our chat room, tell us if you think we're cray, tell if you tell you you know, hey guys, you're right on. Whatever you want, we take it all. JBLive.tv on a Wednesday. We usually start around 5 p.m. with the pre-show, get into the main show around 6 p.m. That's when you can get involved with all the hijinks and all the great fun that we do. Very much so. All right, everyone. Well, thank you so much for tuning this week's episode of Unfilter. We'll see you right back here. Next week! So, you know, I concluded my T-Mobile test drive on Wednesday, um, and unfortunately, uh, my videos, YouTube's having some issues, at least with my account, because when I... Any up any video I upload doesn't matter the length it will stay in an indefinite processing. Period. Oh my gosh, that's horrible. Yeah, I would lose my mind if that happened to Jupiter. Yeah, Bible. I've 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 contacted multiple sources and so we'll see what happens. JBTitles.com, JBTitles.com, but everybody lo- boat. But uh, let me talk about T-Mobile real quick. Yeah, what'd you think? Uh, there, oh my god, the download speeds are incredible. Oh, I couldn't great. believe I was getting seventy megs ah, down. Holy shit! Upload two. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, uploads not so good. Uh, so yeah, so yeah. Uh, JBTitles.com, JBTitles.com, everybody boat. So yeah, Geek Gamer Weekly. Uh, it's on a it's on a, a hiatus, if you will. Uh, and the reason being is I'm not sure if I'm going to bring it back. I, if I do, I'm going to completely rework the show and change the name of the show and start something brand spanking new. But. So- uh, oh, sorry, not to interrupt. Right? Yeah, no, no. I, yeah, I, I was just going to say. I think what this episode will either be is this is sort of the introduction of a possible thesis, and now additional info will bear it out. 
or we will make corrections like as we go to sort of bring it back in line with the with the main narrative. And it's just going to be a multi episode arc to see how far we end from where we started with this thesis. Right. Either it's completely collapsed in three episodes, yeah. or we've doubled down on it in three episodes. That's right. what I'm guessing. Yeah. But who knows, right? Yeah, we'll never know. Uh, uh, no, we'll Q, find out. Uh, Q Collective, no, uh, they're just a cell phone provider. Uh, but those speeds are what I'm getting on the cell phones. JB Titles, Chase, go see what you like. JBTitles.com, everybody boat. JBTitles.com, everybody boat. Off-radar details of MH17's a little long, and I threw one in the hat a while back, and mine was the truth of MH17. That's what I threw Ooh, in. that's powerful. I threw that in there. That's, woo, that's bold, Chase. I know, I know. If anything, that's going to that's gonna get people riled up. Yeah, I, I like know. It. I like it. I know. That's, powerful. It's a very powerful, it's powerful thing. Powerful. And it'll get the Google juice like there's nothing else. Powerful. I'm all about the power. That's not bad. That's not bad. I, I gave that a boat. Yeah. Definitely gave that a boat. Uh, should we see why we let everybody boat? Should I see if I have any overtime clips they might want? Let me see if we have anything Ooh. short. I don't know. The overtime folder is nuts. I was sincere. I really would like people that are listening to the supporter show to go through the sink and maybe find uh, more stuff. By the way, Chris, uh, mm. programming note, I mm-hmm. moved uh, the Minecraft Me show to Sunday afternoons at 5. Mm. Um, and, uh, but since Joe's not free on this Sunday, we're doing it tomorrow afternoon at 2. Uh, some Minecraft action. My, tomorrow at 2. If you, if you, By the way, if you like survivor games, that's the one you should play. Because uh, it's fun. It's, it's PvP. It's a lot of fun. Destiny beta this weekend as well. Hmm. Well, here's a kind of a fun one. We'll play this one for a minute while everybody boats. JBTitles.com. JBTitles, go! And... Media mayhem. ...the Malaysian airliner crash, and despite presenting no hard evidence to back such allegations, once launched, the media machine is hard to stop. Gianni Chikian has this report. Mainstream media. Uh. It took most pundits, military experts, and... That guy in the background, that was that back and forth we were hearing. That was the CNN anchor right there in the background. And behind her is the RT anchor. Curse in the U.S. mainstream media less than a day to pronounce Russia, and specifically the Russian president, guilty of the downing of the MH17. This Tuesday, U.S. intelligence officials said they had no evidence that would directly link Russia to the tragedy. They also said they did not know who exactly pulled the trigger. But inertia in the media is a powerful thing, and such a lack of evidence did not set back some of the journalists who seem to be absolutely sure about who's to blame. Maybe you haven't been following it, but the U.S. is actually coming out with a lot of its own intelligence uh, that connects what happened to MH17 to the acts of Russian militants and perhaps to the involvement of Russia in either training, equipping, or maybe even assisting what, what, in this what uh, forensic, horrible operation what of bringing down this evidence plane. are you talking about? What, what forensic evidence are you referring to? Twitter? They are releasing intelligence information about the trajectory. No, not Twitter. I do not think, Peter, this is something to be flip about. 298 people lost their lives. Let's well, not play politics. I think the U.S. State Department okay? has been There's very plenty of flippant intelligence about coming this. out. Very flippant about it. I actually kind of agree. Using Twitter as a source, in a sense, is yeah. almost disrespectful to the Absolutely, dead. right. Much of the U.S. media brush off whatever information comes from the Russian government as propaganda. Of For course. instance, when Russia pre- because it is. presented evidence that Ukraine had the capability to shoot down the plane without directly accusing Kiev of doing it, many journalists have shown clearly that they were not willing to treat all sources equally. 
That is not to say that all journalists do that. So really it's the propaganda machine spinning on both sides in, in what is a, an information war, certainly as it's seen from the Russian angle. Carol? Is Russia's evidence credible? Well, how credible <laughs> is the U.S. evidence? After a U.S. official said there is no proof of the Russian president's involvement in the plane crash, the U.S. media is looking for another face to put on the tragedy. The leader of the pro-Russian rebels, a suspect now in this crime, seems defensive, even amused by it all, rolling his eyes at the question of accountability. Why weren't the bodies taken care of and given dignity sooner? You know, it's a fantastic story. The thing is that as soon as members of OSCE arrived, they notified us that if we start moving the bodies, then we will be responsible. We have new sourced information tonight from U.S. government sources about this strange, shadowy character who leads pro-Russian rebels. The jean jacket, black t-shirt, the roll of the eyes. He comes across like a 16-year-old being lectured by a parent. While the real investigation is only beginning in eastern Ukraine, the media are hungry for quick results, quick accusations, and a quick verdict. In Washington, I'm going to check on RT. Obviously, Russia... I'm going to uh, follow her on Twitter. Russia has their own uh, <laughs> just... agenda at play there, but... Both sides. And that's why I like the yeah. title suggestion there, the MH17 Information Wars, because it's really, this is all unfortunately getting, it, we are totally in a Cold War. Yeah. Yeah, it's just a 21st and, century version and, of it. And like Zardoz points out in there, like if Russia wasn't in there, uh, this wouldn't have happened. And potentially if we weren't interested in Ukrainian pipelines, this wouldn't have happened. If we wouldn't have toppled Kiev's government, this likely might not have ever happened. If Russia hadn't sent the separatist arms, this likely would have never happened. Right? At any point along the line, you could say if X would have happened or wouldn't have happened, then this wouldn't have happened. But Chris, Chris, you know what? We, sh- we, should, have, we should have just went to Vegas this weekend and I went know. to the Star Trek Las Vegas. That's what we should be They're at right now. taking it out, Chase. What? No, no, no. The, the convention. The convention. Oh, oh yeah. I'm the saving big. up for the 50th. Gosh. That's like in two years. Oh, man. That's going to be epic. All right. Uh, MH17 chess piece. M- the truth of MH17. Uh, MH17 information wars. I think it's down to... I think I like still like the truth of MH17. Because we did cover the what we do know, and then we covered the bacon. And we made sure to separate the two. Yeah. And I, hope, it- I hope people... I hope I think it went okay. I, I mean, we went, couched I, the shit out of all this. Stuff. I, I and we it, were cu- couching like a mo. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> if we have gone to Vegas, this would have not happened. Yeah, yeah. I went to the Star Trek experience yeah, too. By the way, the a best l- number of times. The best. Yeah, I only got to go once, but I did the Just full Monty. Once? Oh, I did. Oh. Well, I don't get around. You don't get out. I actually, you know, I lived out there when you know it was there. And nice. I actually, I interviewed for a, a job at Star Trek experience, but I, I wow, never, that'd be cool. I never got of it. Of course, you would have lost it, but yeah, that'd have been cool while yeah. it was. Yeah, couching like a mo. All right, so uh, let's see here. Hey, you guys, it's Friday. Have a great weekend. And, yeah. don't, and don't forget to find an apple, carve, yeah. it, carve it out. If you see an apple on the beach, don't say, eat it. And say something. But I do hear they make fantastic bongs. You can I, even do it with a pen, I'm told. Never tried. Wouldn't wouldn't need, really have an interest. But What about banana? Yeah, I, I, was, I was looking for pictures for the show. Because you saw the picture I chose for the yeah. show notes. Yeah. You yeah. know why I chose that picture, obviously. By the way, check the show notes. <laughs> Uh, but uh, I did find like a banana bong. Like there's all kinds of funny fruit bongs, actually, like a pineapple bong. Of course, are you gonna show it? Yeah, I'll you show can it. show it to the people watching the video version. I was like, well, that's the one. I picked that one for you, really. 
That's oh, oh here, magnify and enhance a little bit. Enhance. See, because yeah, enhance. It kind of she's kind of a little cut off. Enhance. But she's demonstrating a, an apple, uh, an apple pipe there. Enhance. Enhance. Too much enhancement, Chase. Enhance. Too much enhancement. Enhance. Oh no. Enhance. <laughs> All right, let's get out of here. We're gonna go with uh, the truth of MH17. We'll see how this story plays out. We'll see what happens. Oh man. All right, everybody. Thank you for joining us this week. Hey, sorry, us, sorry us. if you missed us in the live version. Yeah, and in, uh, for those who are hanging out with us on a Friday night, what are you doing? Get out of there. Go, 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 go home. Get out of here. Go have some fun. It's time to go. Let's. Go. We're gonna go to a dance party. Yeah, buddy. I'm All right, everybody. I'm, I'm putting my pants back on. Here we go. Thank you, Unfiltered supporters, for enabling us to do a crazy show like this. I love you guys. See ya. Love you, boo. Bye, bye.